This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Twenty-nine other MLB clubs. Two-two pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back, gone for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Beat on. So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe, from spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. You want a great baseball show? You're getting a great baseball show today. I guarantee it. Welcome to A's Cast Live before the Athletics and the Dodgers tee it up later today. Who do we have coming on? Well, coming up here at 3.30, he's a former NL MVP, a World Series champion, a 10-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glove Award winner, the great Steve Garvey will be here. Always good to have the Garve on. The president of your Oakland Athletics, Dave Cavill, will be here at 4 o'clock. At 4.30, that's a half hour of Ray Fossey. It's a Wednesday. It's Fossey Day. And then Scott Emerson, the pitching coach of your Oakland Athletics, at 5 o'clock. Garvey at 3.30, Cavill at 4, Fossey at 4.30, and Emerson at 5. Uh, A's total access, that is our pregame show, will be at 545, and I believe first pitch is at 640. Is that right? Yeah, 640 will be first pitch. Commander, how are you? I'm excited. I mean, we're we're getting closer to the playoffs starting. We saw some teams clinch last night. The Braves clinched another NL East title, Uh, but then again, they've only won one World Series during this Entire run, if we want to culminate it into one thing, they've won one World Series title. Uh, the Dodgers clinching the NL West. That's the eighth straight year. We're, we talked about them last year being the Buffalo Bills of Major League Baseball. We'll see how that plays out this year. As uh, I believe if, if the season ended and we actually played a real year, they would finish somewhere on like 114 wins, so they'd be close to the uh, all-time win, record. Win, Well, Hey, the Las Vegas Raiders, that was, that's all they've been doing is win, win, Incognito IR win, but yeah, it's it. We're gonna the playoffs are almost here, and I can't wait for it to get started. Well, you know, and there's only one winner, and it's funny, you know. Last night, taking phone calls on the A's clubhouse show, and you know, it was mentioned. What's well, great? The A's have been in all these playoffs, but they haven't won. You know that that's the criticism. Same criticism of the Atlanta Braves. Same criticism criticism of the Los Angeles Dodgers. They haven't won since 1988. A's haven't won since 1989. And I'll say to you, okay, I'm not going to say you're wrong, but I'll say this. 
I'd rather be a team that makes the playoffs than be the Pittsburgh Pirates who went 20 years being under 500. 20 years not being relevant. Rebuild after rebuild after rebuild. Just when you think you've got it bad because your team gets into the postseason a lot, but they don't win in the postseason, trust me, it can get real bad. In every single sport, you can buy. I mean, can you imagine how uh, Golden State Warrior fans, do you not remember how bad it was? Clipper fan, do you the Clippers? How bad they were for all. So just when you think, hey, I'm tired of going to the playoffs. We don't win when we get there. Okay. (laughs) It can change real quick. And you can never go to the playoffs. You can get to a point you don't even watch the team anymore. The A's are on a terrific run. Now, hopefully they do a deep run. Hopefully they get through this wild card series and then they're off and running and it's probably down to Dodger Stadium. And the more I think about it, and I'll ask Scott Emerson about this later on today, uh, this could be a real blessing that the A's are getting this opportunity to play at Dodger Stadium for these three days and to then end the season and be right back here. So they, they, they still know how the stadium smells, right? They know how it plays, the mounds, the bullpen mounds, the infield, how fast, how slow. You know, usually infields down in Southern California are pretty fast. Dodger Stadium, Angel Stadium, Petco Park. But Petco's a lot different. Petco's not like old Jack Murphy Stadium that was inland. Pet, Petco's right on the water. It, it gets cold there at night. The marine layer. But Dodger Stadium, uh, usually a pitcher's ballpark, wasn't a pitcher's ballpark last night as the ball was flying out of there. And tomorrow, I can't wait, and I can't wait to talk to Fossey about this. We we taped a hitting guru today. And he used to work for the A's back in the day. And he's one of the hitting gurus that's taught a lot of these newer hitting gurus And he still works for the Dodgers. And we had a fascinating conversation. I I don't have Craig. What's his last name, Cody? Because I don't have it in front of me. Uh, Wallenbrock. He's the guy that uh, taught Dodgers uh, hitting coach Robert Van Soyok and Johnny Washington, the Padres hitting coach, and Tim Laker, the Mariners hitting coach. He's also the guy to help turn around J.D. Martinez's career. We all know how that was going down the uh, toilet with the Astros, and he helped turn him around. And he he was fascinating to talk, you know, to listen to. I know all about him because of that book, Swing King. So it was great to get a chance to talk to him. He worked for the A's for five years, starting in 1988. So he was here for some glory days. He was here for the World Series. And what's what's fascinating about the interview is where we have come so far with hitting and changing hitting. To where he laughed when I told him, hey, when we were growing up, they taught us hit the ball back up the middle. That's what you're, That was your approach. Think going back up the middle. You can't do that now because there's a guy standing there because of the shift. So now they want you to hit the ball in the air. But my problem with that is, as you know, too many guys are not making contact. So that's great. You got 13 home runs, but you're hitting a buck 82. So I don't think you're as productive as you think. And that's where the OPS kind of gets skewed. 
It's like, okay, you hit a home run and you drove in a couple runs, but the rest of the time you're O for the planet with runners in scoring position. Really? How productive are you? And he said today, and you'll hear it tomorrow, that's the next wave of this evolution of hitting is not only are you lifting the ball, driving the baseball, we now call it launch angle and exit velocity, but it's about going back to making contact too. And that leads me to, and I hate to do this, but Commander, uh, do you have the button ready? The Oakland Athletics are not hitting the baseball right now. And these numbers are scary. The A's have lost six of their last 11. And during that span, they're hitting 208 as a team. Matt Olson, last nine games, he's hitting 129. Mark Canna, since September 4th, is hitting a buck 72. Tony Kemp, last 16 games, hitting 204. Robbie Grossman, this is when they resumed from COVID, by the way, this September 4th date. Robbie Grossman's hitting a buck 85. Marcus Simeon, since the return, is hitting 212. Ramon Laureano, since he was reinstated from his suspension, is hitting a buck 78. Stephen Piscotti in September, remember how great he was in August? He's hitting 158. These are the guys that you're rolling out on an everyday basis are hitting under 200. Like we say, Tony Kemp, Tony Kemp's hitting 204 last 16 games. They are not being productive. That scares me. I knew it was bad, but once we really looked into it, it's really bad. They don't make contact. And I don't want to hear about walks. You can't walk yourself to the World Series. And I think what we saw last night, you know, now you're you're looking at the best team in baseball. Now you're looking at the team that has the run differential. This is the team that, forget me, forget anybody else, they're the team, Vegas says, William Hill out of Caesars, William Hill has all the sports books. They got the Dodgers as the favorite. Not the Rays, not the Yankees, not the A's, not the Braves, but the Dodgers. And their run differential now is plus 124. I mean, you saw it last night. They got firepower. They got big league firepower. And... If you're going to win the, unless, you know, and Justin Turner didn't even play. If you're going to win the World Series, there's a chance these are the guys you got to go through. Now, it's anybody's game being 16 people, I mean, 16 teams in the postseason. It's anybody's game. Anybody can get upset. Like right now, do you want to face the Cincinnati Reds and their pitching? People say that about the Cleveland Indians. I mean, it's it really is anybody's game. But the key right now, is going to be that the A's, they need to hit the reset button come Sunday night. 
How many? How many? How how many uh, things do we still have out there, Cody? I mean, because let's see, the Cubs still have to win the division. The A's have clinched the division. Well, the Central isn't settled yet. White Sox lead is down to a half game. Yeah, twin. They got walked off last night, and the Twins won on a walk off. So that division well, is getting interesting. Well, thing for the A's. The A's, if you don't screw it up, you can be the number two seed. Yeah, they were. If they would have won that game last night, they would have been the two seed, and they would have. And this is a question that we kind of talked about yesterday. We get to think more about it. Would you rather face the Astros, who are literally decimated by injuries, or would you rather play Cleveland, who Jose Ramirez could be the AL MVP with the way he's been playing the last couple of games, the last few weeks, and that pitching staff with Bieber and Polisak and the guys they have and Savali, the guys that they have in that rotation that. They're shut down guys. Bieber could be the AL MVP. He's not probably not going to win it. He's going to win the AL Cy Young. I think that's already locked up. He might be unanimous. But he he should get MVP votes for how good he's been for the Indians. You don't want to face – I mean, I hate to say you don't want to uh, face a team, but – Yeah, I, I don't want to go there. I, I mean, I mean, the bottom line for me is you're going to have to go through good teams to win the world. It's, it's the playoffs. Styles make fights, I get it, but it's the playoffs. You're going to you're going to have to go through great teams. You're going to have to go through great players. You're going to face tough pitching. That's just that that that's how it works. So there, there there's going to be no patsies. Anybody you play, I mean, we know the Astros. The Astros got talent. There's no doubt about it. They're going to still have the ability to take people down. Now, the A's have done well against the Astros. The A's are really familiar with the Astros. That'll be the difference in the playoffs now, is if you get past this round and now you're playing people you haven't seen this year. Or you may, in the first, in this wild card series, get somebody like Cody just said. Is it the Indians? You haven't seen the Indians this year. Maybe one of the reasons you want the Astros is because you've played them, you've got confidence, you've beaten them, and you've dominated them at the Coliseum. But if you don't hit, it's not going to matter anyway. Yeah, and the, the Indians, they're playing very well. As a team collectively, they're hitting, I think, 228. The A's are hitting 224. The Indians' team OPS on the season is 687. That's not very good. Jose Ramirez, yes, but their run differentials in the plus. Well, that's because their starting so, rotation is ridiculous. Well, that's the name of the game, right? Run prevention. Yeah. Everybody it, thinks it's scoring runs, but really the name of the game is how do you keep the other team from scoring, and that's what Cleveland does. Yeah, and they've been great at it. I mean, like like I said, Bieber has been unreal. Uh, Polisak has been great. He had immaculate inning the other day in his start. That just shows you how good he's been. And you're asking about uh, playoff clinch scenarios. Uh, two that could happen tonight. The Astros can clinch a playoff berth with a win and an Angels loss. The Buffalo Blue Jays can clinch a playoff berth with a win, an Angels loss, and a Seattle Mariners loss. So those two things could happen tonight. I, I think we're going to see more so the Astros potentially get in tonight. Okay, let me give you, I'll give you okay, – so Tampa can clinch the AL East division and home field advantage – in the AL Wild Card Series tonight with a win over the Mets or a Yankees loss to the Blue Jays. As you just mentioned, Houston can clinch postseason berth tonight with a win over the Mariners and an Angels loss to the Padres. 
The Buffalo Jays can clinch a postseason berth tonight with a win over the Yankees and an Angels loss to the Padres and an Astros loss to the Mariners. Wow, that's way too much information. And then the Padres can clinch the number four seed and home field advantage in the NL wildcard series tonight with a win over the Angels and a Cardinals loss to the Royals. You got all that? I really want to see Padres uh, Marlins in the first round in the NL. I really want to see that matchup. I'll tell you the one thing I saw today that just it just it just shook me. I couldn't believe it. There have been 204 players to already make their major league debut this season. 204 guys stepped onto a big league field for the first time in this 60 game schedule. Now, I don't know what the average is normally. I got to think that's pretty high. Wouldn't you bet that's probably pretty high? Yeah, I, I was listening to a discussion about that yesterday. I can't remember if it was MLB Central or, or if I was listening to uh, a video clip or something. But they were talking about that because they were talking about uh, Alejandro Kirk, the five foot eight, 260-pound catcher making his debut for the Blue Jays. And then a few, years, uh, a few days ago, we saw Garrett Crochet, the left hand, hard-throwing lefty from the White Sox, the 11th overall pick in a draft, make his major league debut. Didn't even play in the minors because there's no minor league season. Makes his debut. He's throwing 102 miles an hour already, literally with no major league experience. And he looks like a guy that could be a huge weapon for the White Sox. But, yeah, the 204, when I heard that too, I just I, I couldn't believe that so many guys have made their debut. But we've seen a lot of the top prospects get caught up to Casey Mize, uh, Tarek Skubal, Joey Bart. Um, some of those guys aren't really performing. Those three guys aren't doing very much, if not anything, but they got to make their debut. But there are guys like Christian Javier from the Astros. He pitched in double-A last year. He's been great for the Astros. He's probably been their best pitcher behind Zach Granke. Uh, it's just the way the season is with some of these guys not getting above, you know, single-A last year. Like Alejandro Kirk from the Blue Jays didn't even play above single-A last year, and he's making an impact already for the Blue Jays. Well, we've joked with some of the broadcasters like, hey uh... – how much tape you got on your uh, single A team from last year? You know, because they got all the funny names for the minor league teams. These guys, I, we, I, I, who was it? I, somebody was it the Astros or one of the one of the was, broadcasters? It was brought Blummer. On, you're like, I don't even know who these guys are. It was Blummer, wasn't it? Because remember, he was talking about how he doesn't know. Yeah, was, <laughs> we we're going through the the minor league system of the Astros. All right, runs scored. When you want to look at your offense, the Braves have scored the most runs. They're in. Dodgers have scored the second most runs. They're in. They've also hit the most home runs with 104. Padres are third in runs. They're in. Yankees fourth. They're in. Phillies are fifth. See, this is where it kind of, you know, you just can't say, hey, teams who score the most runs are in the postseason. And and Philly, was that note I saw on Philly? They've blown, their bullpen has blown like seven games where they had a three-run lead or more. So it hasn't been the offense. It's been the bull- – Phillies' bullpen's been terrible. 7.21 ERA for the bullpen this year for the Phillies. Number six is the Chicago White Sox. They're in. Number seven is the Los Angeles Angels. They stink. See, you can score a lot of runs, but if you can't prevent runs, how about the New York Mets? How are they doing this year? Uh, dumpster fire, essentially. They're eighth in runs. Number nine is Tampa. They're in. Number 10 is Toronto. They're going to be in. Tied with tied at 10 is the Washington Nationals. They're out. 12th is the Giants. They're out. Red Sox 13, they're out. This is, this is 
Top teams and runs. Number 14 is the Astros. They're in. Number 15, the Oakland A's. And number 16, the Minnesota Twins. So the A's are basically middle of the pack when it comes to scoring runs. Now the A's got a really good bullpen. Starting has kind of been up and down. I mean, right now, I guarantee you nobody... And we'll see what day, what 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 day are we going to have David Forrest on? I literally just uh, t- I was talking with him. Four thirty on Friday, we'll have David Forrest. That's going to be an interesting interview. Like, how are you setting it up? I think we'll kind of have an idea, right, of how we're going to see who's actually pitching. Because you'll kind of know coming up here how they start to arrange the pitching. But we'll talk to David. 4.30 on Friday and kind of get the answer, okay, why are you doing this? And we did Melvin on Sunday, so maybe we should save Melvin, maybe get him on the day off, because we're going to be doing a show on Monday. Is that correct, Commander? That's correct. We'll be on from 3 to 5 on Monday before the wild card series. So we don't know what time we're going to be on Tuesday for the wild, because we don't know what time the A's are playing yet uh, for correct. those games. So we probably won't know that until like, over the weekend. Uh, but, yeah, I was going to say we should say Bob for probably right around the start of the, the series, which would be great. So we taped Scott Emerson today, which you're going to hear at 5 o'clock, and I threw the question at him. And, then of course, he uh, he didn't dance around it, but it's still – I mean, they he makes it seem like they're still in game mode, right? That we're – you know, it's still, hey, you got to finish this thing, get to the finish line. But we know the front – at least the front office is, is thinking, okay, how – we don't know who you're, who you're going to play yet, but how do you want to line it up? How do, Who's going to be your three? Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. How are you going to line it up? Is Bassett getting at game one? Is Lazardo part of the three? Is it Fires? Is it Manaya? Who do you see as the long guy? Who do you see as a starter that can come out and give you length? Obviously, if these are auditions, Frankie Montas did not do well for himself. Frankie, in his last six starts, is one and four with a 10.88 ERA. So I just don't, I, I, I mean, you hear those numbers, you look at his stuff, and he's not hurt. He's not hurt. I know that's kind of been a theory of some people. He's not hurt. It's just he he's he's not pitching with that same conviction. Split fingers not as good. Fastball command is not as good. And when you go up against a really good team, I mean, there you go. I mean, this Dodger team can hit. They've got 104 home runs. I don't think really – let me see. Is anybody really close to them? Because no one else is at 100, right? No. Yeah, the, no, one's even at a, no one's at 100. The next closest team is the Braves at 98. The and then you got to go down to uh, the White Sox and Yankees at, nine to one, at 91. I mean, no one comes close to the Dodgers. And once again, Justin Turner wasn't in the lineup. So I got to think, I got to think the way this thing's lining up is Bassett will go tomorrow. 
right? I that gives you Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I think Fires is scheduled to pitch tomorrow. Yeah, I'm not going to be shocked if Bassett pitches tomorrow, if they switch that up. I don't think anything has been announced, right? I haven't really been on Twitter other than to retweet our show. Uh, it, I mean, I'm looking at the MLB at Bat app, and it has Fires listed against TBD, which you said that you think it's Walker Bueller coming back. Um, but so we'll. I mean, I haven't seen anything on Twitter about it either. Bob's Bob's media availability is at four thirty today. Well, I hope somebody asked him. Hey, who's pitching tomorrow? Because that will be the guy that lines up to go Tuesday. Is it going to be Mike Fires? I mean, isn't that what you'd want? Isn't that how you'd want to plan it out? I think so. Interesting. No Matt Olson tonight for the A's. Looks like a rest they're giving, day. Well, he's going up against a left-hander. Yeah. Canna's in at first base. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's going to – we we may have some news coming up here. What would you say? Bob's at 4.30? Yeah, I believe Bob's media availability is at 4.30 today because Bassett was at like 2.30 – so I think I think Bob yeah Bob's at four thirty today. So well, we could be getting some news today. How does it line up? All right, coming up next, he's one of our favorites. We'll talk a little A's Dodgers with the great Steve Garvey right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Steve Garvey is going to join us in moments. Or I should say, join us in a moment. Speak proper English. What a career he had. And, you know, we had his teammate on, Rick Sutcliffe, yesterday, talking about 1981. You know, that was a, that was a shortened season. But the reality is we look back on that as a great World Series against the Yankees, Dodgers. The World Series ring looks the same. Hi there. Steve, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the A's. Hey, Chris. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Great to have you on the program again. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for very, uh, very good timing, very topical, huh? Yeah, I mean, this is a it's a great matchup between the A's and the Dodgers. And obviously, and we got to really see it last night. The firepower that the Dodgers have is very impressive. Well, you know, it is, um, you know, if you notice, though, and I, of course, I'm, you know, I'm a Dodger and so forth. And uh, I'm a little prejudiced with the team, but um you know, with this new baseball, if you look at the home runs and the distance uh, over the fence, <laughs> uh, you know, it's probably 10 to 15 feet with this new baseball. And uh, one hit the top of the fence last night. Taylor's ball kind of snapped hooked over. Uh, Muncie's and Seeger's are very good. But uh, in this new millennial of baseball, you get the ball in the air and you got a good chance. And obviously, you know, not only the Dodgers, but the A's. Uh, and the A's, I think, rely a lot on, on the home run power. Um, it's going to boil down to that. Last night was a good example. You know, it's interesting that you, you, you mentioned the ball because our pitching coach, Scott Emerson, 
believes there's also a juiced bat. As he says, years ago, he used to see X amount of bats broken almost every single game, and now you don't see bats being broken, and there's the sealant that they put on these bats. So could could we be dealing not only with juice ball, but also juice bats compared to what like you guys had? <laughs> well, uh, you know, in many ways, if you look at it, you know, a lot of times I, I like to see an analyst uh, for these teams, you know, most of the time you have a pitcher and the Dodgers have a great combination of Davis and Oral Hershiser. Uh, but you need a, a, a guy that's, you know, been a position player and hitter to talk about this because uh, when when I was playing back, you know, starting in the 70s to 90 and then beginning, I would think about somewhere in the 90s, maple started to come come about, which is a harder wood. Uh, before that, it was ash, and you could actually see some indentations uh, on ash because it was a softer, uh, softer wood. Now, I used to, I used to have mine what they call flame treated, and flame treating was supposed to harden the bat somewhat, seal it, and then you put a varnish on it. Nowadays, you have this, uh, and by the way, there was, there was, you could tell the age of a bat because of the width of the uh, of the grain. The greater the width the older the bat, the harder the bat. Uh, so now you've got maple, very fine grain, but a very hard bat uh, that in lower temperatures, now you'll see this a lot in the fall. Um, once you start to get into northern you know, cities and you may get rain, you may get cold because of the late fall, you see bats snap in half and, and people you say, gosh, how did that happen? Well, that's what maple does. And with maple, you also can't see the stress fractures in it that you could see in ash. So that's the difference. Now, the big difference too is not only is maple harder, but it's true. The varnish that is put on it now uh, is measured, I think, one to 10 or one to, to nine. And uh, a bat company like Chandler, um, which I know, uh, their varnish is about an eight five. So it, it is almost as hard as it can legally get. So you combine that with extra velocity, uh, with a ball with a heartbeat, so to speak, and uh, and you see uh, you know distances that you you haven't seen prior to the last you know ten years or so. So um, you know, and, I, and you also get the ricochet factor because of the uh, the increased average speed of fastballs now. So that's why. And I used to always say power sells, but sometimes too much power you know causes suspicion. It makes you think, you know, games can be decided by, I've seen balls hit off the end or actually jam shots um, that have gone over the fence and everybody looks at each other. <laughs> you know, so uh, it's, just, it's just an aspect of the game today. You know, when you would get a batch of bats, how would you decide which was your gamer, which did you uh, use in BP or the cages, and which ones would you just, you know, you wouldn't use at all? Well, if you look back into uh, like early in the uh, in the 20th century, uh, players like Ty Cobb and uh, maybe a, a, a Gehrig and other you know guys that weren't considered power hitters may use two or three bats a year. Uh, and then as time went on, the evolution of uh, you know the game itself and the treating of wood and so forth. Um, Bats became a little more brittle, and you used to see guys use maybe a dozen or two. 
I never fell in love with one bat because I was a notorious bat breaker because my bat was 35 inches, 35 ounces. And, uh, and our theory used to be inches to ounces in terms of balance. I used to look for wide grain, but I, I used to stay in there. And because I had good bat speed and a close stance and I, I covered the outside part of the plate, I would get jammed and still be able to slice the ball down the line. I may lose the bat. I, I'd gladly exchange a bat for a double, you know, anytime. So that, uh, and I think there were times when Nolan Ryan would try to jam me two or three times and I'd bloop it down the line for a double and I'd get the second base and I would stand there and he'd turn around and go, Bammer Gar, hit the ball hard. <laughs> I would go, keep it away from me, you know, don't jam me. And we would smile at each other and, you know, mutual respect. But, uh, when you talk about hitting, these are the nuances that I think the audience uh, doesn't always get, the reasons why a guy hit a pitch or the reason why uh, they're not covering the outside half of the plate is predominantly because hitters have open stances now and they don't always get closed to be able to cover the outside. If you look at a, a you know, early in this pandemic, there are a lot of historic games. And if you watch the game from 10, 15 years ago and on, everybody had a closed stance. And why did they do that? because they wanted to be able to cover the plate. They hit down through the ball to create backspin. Um, you know, people ask me, hey, hey, Garv, did you have a launch angle? I said, of course they had a launch angle. How did they get the ball in the ballpark? But we didn't believe in hitting low to high. We believed in hitting down through the ball, hitting line drives, uh, and, uh, and the offense that comes with that, which is moving runners over, hitting and running. Uh, you know, I tell people, once I started bunting for base hits, uh, I would say five years into my career, I would get maybe 10, 12 base hits a year, which was 25 points on my average. So just by being able to do that um, and being being smart, you know, and then the third baseman would play me in more than he normally would. And I'd get another six to eight hits by him because he was 10 feet closer in. So all these things, if you're smart, um, you can pick up 25, 30 points by just using your head. Well, you know, I, I think about last night and Matt Olson, our first baseman, came up to the plate and the Dodgers yeah. put four outfielders and three infielders, but all three infielders were on the right side. There was no one playing the left side and he strikes out. What would what would have been like for you if they basically said no first baseman, no second baseman, and they give you the entire right side? Oh, I, I... I think maybe five, I bet five, 600, because, uh, you know, only in a situation where you would have to, if you had power, try to drive the ball out. Uh, the game is too tough. It's, it's, it's arguably the single greatest and most difficult specific skill sport uh, is hitting a baseball. And, uh, and when you're given something, you know, you, you've got to take it. Uh, I could stand at home plate. If I saw the, the center fielder drift to his left towards right center. I knew the pitcher was going to, to pitch me away. Uh, there was no shifts back then. Uh, nobody could play me, you know, a good shift on me because I, I was a guy that thought right, right center, um, cover the outside part of the plate. I'd go that way. If I wanted to have the pitcher pitch me in, I'd move closer to the plate. And those smarty pants catchers would look at my feet, give me inside. And as the guy was delivering the ball, I'd back up six inches and get my fastball. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's so tough that if you don't think, um, then you don't, you won't 
seize opportunities and get the most of them. So, uh, you know, last night, you know, if I was Mr. Olson, I would have taken two shots to the left side. Now, you know what? If you can slap the ball and get the ball, I would say, from 15 feet from the line to the line with, with some momentum, you can, you can get an easy double, not just a, a, a hit. So uh, in the postseason, championships are won by teams that seize uh, opportunities and take advantage of them and give in, so to speak. All the guys that are low to high, you know, launch angle guys, if they give in just to get on base and get that pitcher to work from the stretch, it's going to be a big plus for the team, and they're going to show leadership. You know, 1981, we were talking to uh, Ritz, Rick Sutcliffe about this yesterday because he was calling the game on ESPN. And I just remember 1981 as a kid of that great World Series between you guys and the Yankees. And we don't even think about it being the, the labor stoppage, the two different halves and all that. I mean, we just remember you guys won the World Series. You got the World Series ring. It was a great World Series. It's gonna. It's a little different because we're dealing with a pandemic now, but I mean, it's the same thing. I think whoever wins this, we're going to look at and go, man, this team had to go, whoever wins had to go through so much. They had to go through COVID, social injustice. Uh, we talk about if it's a California team or a West Coast team, the air quality has been so bad. Do you see some similarities from 81 in this year? Well, you know, um, when there are these years that are challenged by uh, abnormal situations, um, and as long as it's the same for everybody, then, you know, history books will take note of, of that season, the specifics of it, and, uh, and give credit to the ultimate champion for just what you said, making adjustments, uh, sacrificing, uh, doing all the little things to, uh, to be successful. Um, really, you know, it, it, Really taking the, the, the term, you know, we instead of me in winning a championship. And people say, oh, there's going to be an asterisk by, by this season. I don't think there should be an asterisk. But this, the, the biography of the season will tell the tale. And the team that wins is going to be the, the world champion. And, uh, and so be it. So it's always, if it's always fair for everybody, then that's just the way the season has to be designed because of, uh, because of, um, you know, abnormal situations. You know, you played for two great managers, two Hall of Famers, and uh, happy birthday to Tommy Lasorda. It was his 93rd birthday yesterday. And then, of course, the great Dick Williams, who managed the A's of two world titles, and then you were with Dick in San Diego uh, when, when you guys took on the Tigers. What does it mean when – to, to have that strong leader, to have that guy that you have, that you have the ultimate confidences when he's making those decisions because you played for two of the greats? Well, also Walter Alston. Um, yeah. He was my first manager, and I actually um, we're working on a book now called The Journey, uh, and it's somewhat of an autobiography. But the first day uh, that I actually fell in love with the game, uh, my dad was a Greyhound bus driver, and at the end of March of 1956, he came home living in Tampa, Florida, and he said, you want to skip school tomorrow? And I said, gosh, Dad, yeah, you never said that before. <laughs> what are we doing? He said, well, I have a charter to pick up the Brooklyn Dodgers from the Tampa airport and take them to St. Pete to play the Yankees in an exhibition game. And I thought it might be a great father and Sunday. Well, it was. That day I got a chance to bat boy for the world champion Brooklyn Dodgers. 
uh, to sit next to Hodges and Reese. Have uh, Jackie Robinson literally sit on my lap. He didn't see me. <laughs> and he goes, oh, my God, I'm sorry, son. I'm thinking Monday show and tell. Nobody's going to believe Jackie Robinson sat on my lap. But uh, and uh, and subsequently, 12 years later, with the, you know, signing with the Dodgers. And ever since then, the evolution of my life, which has been a blessing. But, uh, you know, just like anything, um, you know, history is important. You got to understand that. And uh, and you gotta you gotta flow with it. you know life is all about making adjustments and and I, like you tell the kids not making the same mistake twice learning from our mistakes knowing that we're all fallible but uh, still trying to make a difference uh, and how we're blessed so you know this season is one that uh, God willing there won't be another one quite like it but we're all going to learn from it. Well, let's end on this because I always want to bring it up in case people don't know what a great football player you were at Michigan State as a defensive back. Uh, It's nice that we're, you know, because not having Big Ten football is like, wow, and I don't think we're going to have Pac-12 football, but your Michigan State Spartans are back. Amen. You know, I think the Big Ten thought, oh, we're going to set the way and, you know, we're going to cancel early and, all of a sudden, the ACC and the SEC, everybody got in line. And, of course, Pac-12 uh, is still sitting out there. I can't believe it. Um, but thank you for the compliment of, it, of being a, a good football player. I, I love playing the game. I think, you know, come like a couple of years at Michigan State, because at that time, you could sign professionally after your uh, sophomore year in baseball, uh, were great molding years. I learned so much. I got a chance to play games at Notre Dame and a, a USC came to East Lansing when I was a sophomore and they had a tailback by the name of OJ Simpson, who uh, they beat us in a great game, 21-17. And I uh, punished him four or five times, I think, but uh, I've learned so much. And, and you talk about leadership and talk about the great managers that I had, Alston and Lasorda and Williams, but I played for Duffy Doherty, who was a hall of fame football coach and uh, the great Irishman who was a great storyteller. And, uh, you know, I've had, I've had great men. And, and of course, I think every successful man has, has a, a, a mother that molds them and teaches them. And, you know, I was an only child and, uh, and my mother was, uh, my dad was the big gentle bear that everybody loved. And mom was the disciplinarian and the combination of both of them, you know, I thank God for but uh, being around leaders and listening and learning and thinking about, you know, why they were successful. And I've been able to take a lot of those reasons and, and uh, mold them into my life uh, is quite a blessing. So, um, you know, it's, it's times like this where leadership is so very, very important. And I know uh, my wife, Candace, and I, uh, you know, in our family, and I know there are millions of others uh, try to lead by example and doing all the things during this pandemic that, that uh, we can be responsible for and to uh, thank God for what we have and to help uh, help all of us endure and this pandemic, God willing, will will keep uh, diminishing and we'll learn from it and go on. So, uh, but it's nice like tonight where two good baseball teams are going to play and they're going to learn from each other because uh, they may just play each other in, a, in about two or three weeks. So they've got to learn as much as possible in these three games for the time when they may play each other. Steve, it is always an honor to have you on the program. We really appreciate your time, and uh, hopefully we can do this in the postseason, and hopefully we will be talking about the Dodgers and the A's in the World Series. (laughs) That's right. It would be a great match. That was my first World Series in 1974 where uh, 
where the A's were, were going about their trilogy and we were a bunch of young kids that, you know, Walter Olson was trying to wipe our noses and uh, kick us in the behind once in a while. We learned a lot from, you know, the old veterans of the A's back then. And that's why, you know, we went to three more World Series in the next eight years and then finally a World Championship. But I always say that 74 experience really paved the way for future success. And I uh, got to thank the A's for teaching us. Amen. <laughs> You're the best, Steve. Take care and be safe. You too. Bye now. Great. The great Steve Garvey. I mean, his career, I, 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 to me, he should be in the baseball Hall of Fame. I know we've had this discussion. I just, he, at one point, I don't know if he still has it, but he had the National League record for most consecutive games played. And the guy's a 10-time All-Star, an MVP, World Series champion, two-time NLCS MVP, a gold glover, you name it. He still, to this day, is at the biggest home run in Padres history. I mean, what do you want the guy to do in 19 years? I mean, he was a hitting, he was 200 hits every year. I mean, he, he's clearly better than some guys that are in the Baseball Hall of Fame right now. I don't disagree with that at all. Uh, it's, it's a shame that guys like him and Dale Murphy, another friend of this program, that aren't in the Hall of Fame. For what Dale Murphy did as a outstanding hitting center fielder uh, as, as we discussed many times uh, before like, oh. th- those those two guys should be in uh, what Tommy John did after uh, what do you have like 188 career no decisions I mean and he won 287 games he could be like a 400 game winner yes <laughs> and he's not in the and, and then the most famous surgery is named after him and he's not in the Hall of Fame yeah it's that that well that's These a writers I, I I I don't uh, I, I meant to mention this to you earlier. Do you know what happened on this date nine years ago? Give me a clue. Nine years ago is a long time. There are rich teams and there are poor teams. Then there's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. Nine years ago today, Moneyball made its debut in the theaters. Oh, I, rem- I remember it. We did a show around it. They had the, the green carpet. Instead of the red card, they had the green carpet and all the celebrities. Oh, yeah. I'm just saying. His girlfriend is a six at best. I remember I was uh, – I once saw the movie. What does that mean? What does that mean? I got to find – they're, they're on like order. Guys here. Like like that. They got guys. a little hair on their ass. Here we go. Not an ugly gr- girlfriend. What's that mean? Ugly girlfriend means no confidence. But, yeah, I saw that on Twitter. I think it was the National Baseball Hall of Fame put that out. They said nine years ago, Moneyball made its debut in the theaters, and they asked people to say what their favorite baseball movies were. So I saw <laughs> that. I wanted to sink that in at some point just so we could play some of the incredible drops from the uh, scouts in the movie. Who's Fabio? <laughs> I like a guy who's got a little hair on his ass. Adapt or die. That's a great. You know, you go back. Go back and watch it. It's, it. It was a good movie. I remember seeing it in theaters. You know, my wife made me go see it. Because, yeah, I mean, it was it was baseball season at the time. And she was like, you need to go and see that right now. Because, remember, I got to watch some of it be, be filmed. Because what they would do is when the A's game was over, they would turn the stadium back to 2002. So, like, the Comcast Sportsnet's. Stuff had to come down. They had to put Fox Sports back up. Uh, the Devil Rays, 
who else? Uh, the Expo, the Expos were still around. They had to change the stadium back to what it looked like in 2002. And they would like have all the actors out there in uniforms and they'd film stuff. And, and I'd be sitting there doing the post game show. That's Hell, a- I don't remember what radio station we were on at the time. Uh, We've been on so many different ones. I don't think it was. I don't think it was ninety-five-seven just yet. Oh, it was ninety-five-seven. It might have been eight-sixty, or the first time around we were on eight-sixty. Yeah, it, I remember. I was in my last year of college when the movie came out. I was in my senior year, and I once saw it with one of my buddies because I read the book. I literally have the book on my bookshelf right behind me, uh, paperback, not the uh, not not ebook or anything. I actually have the paperback book of it, and I read it all those years ago. It's a great book. The book is great. Because the book doesn't leave out parts of Miguel Tejada winning the MVP, Barry Zito winning the Cy Young, Mark Mulder, Tim Hudson, uh, where the movie's just, hey, Scott Hatterberg was a good player. He's the whole reason they won. But they did, the, the book didn't, it, it didn't do it justice, though. I mean, come on. No. They had so many great players. They, they, you know, I, I understand Giambi wasn't there in 2002. But he had been there, and he'd been the MVP. And then Miguel Aldejada is the MVP. I mean, they had they had really good players. Paramount Theater. What didn't it didn't it debut at the Paramount Theater? That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. I just like one of my favorite quotes in that movie is when they when they're in the, the scouts are on the room and he's like, "We got we're gonna have three players, you know, replace Giambi." And they go, "Scott Hatterberg." And you say to the scouts, "Go who?" <laughs> Old man justice. And uh, oh, you don't want Jeremy Giambi. Oh boy. Yeah, you don't want him. He's trouble. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's hilarious. Now, we do realize, because Grady Fuson is a friend of the program and friend of uh, my family, yeah, it didn't exactly go down like that. I mean, he's the kind of guy who walks into a room, his d- already been there for two minutes. <laughs> you don't build a team with a computer, Billy. You don't put a team together with a computer, Billy. Uh, we were told, because remember, <laughs> if, you, if you're if you a diehard to this show, uh, you'll remember when we were down at spring training and Grady Fuson was over at the batting cage and I texted him, hey, look to your right and come on down. And Grady came on the program and admitted to A's Cast Live that he never said that to Billy. You don't build a team with a computer, Billy. Yeah, that... Just some of like we always talk about maybe maybe on well maybe we have to get David Forrest one time to actually talk and actually talk to him about it. Every time we talk to him, it's always more important things on the docket to talk to him about. And obviously, well, yeah, kind of. We got some important things yeah. going on these days. Maybe, uh, maybe, other than money ball. Maybe in the off season or something, or you know, something we ask him about it. Like, hey, so we've been wanting to ask you this for like a year and a half now. And we and play all these cuts for him. Did this actually happen? Yeah, did anybody say the guy's got an ugly girlfriend? Well, what does that mean? I mean, he has no confidence. <laughs> Do you guys still scout like that now, 18 years later? Oh, God. <sighs> it's a good movie. Wow, that debuted nine years ago? Yeah, 2011. That's I remember, like I said, I was a senior in college. It was my last year. Yeah, where was everybody nine years ago? My kids were a lot younger. I was in a different house. Radio station, you were a different. You were every. I mean, everything was different. We can't figure out what radio station we were on. <laughs> when it debuted, we might have been on 95.7. Might have been the first year. What I can do is I can hold up 
a press pass that Cody can see that I have kept. <laughs> yes, we were on 95.7 because we were supposed to be on Extra Sports 860. That's what we were on in 2010. I have a press pass that has my picture and my name on it. Athletics Media, Chris Townsend, Extra Sports 860. We were never on Extra Sports 860 in 2011. <laughs> I have a press pass that says we're on a different station. I am the only human being that has a press pass like this because it never existed. Someday I'll be able to write a book about the craziness of A's and radio. Wasn't it back then? Wasn't it sports uh, sports radio 95.7 before they even changed the name? Yeah, we uh, no, no, we were. It was a country station. We went ninety five point seven. The Wolf. Oh, it's now time for A's baseball. Here's Chris Townsend. I would just be sitting there going, "Oh my god." Oh yeah. No, how about this? We leave eight sixty before the season starts. We're on the we're on the CBS oldies station for the Bay Bridge series. So we went we, we went from sports to oldies to country music. I'll never forget Frank Sinatra is on. So I've been told uh, I got to go to these CBS studios on Broadway. And I'm told you got we're going to be doing Ken Priest calls me up and goes, all right, the Bay Bridge series. I've worked out a deal. We're going to be on the oldie station. I'll never forget Frank Sinatra's on fly me to the moon. Let me play amongst the stars. And then it's like, it's time for A's baseball. Here's Chris Townsend. And then it's the country station. And then sports radio, 95, seven, which then turns into 95.7, the game. Wow. Cause I remember back when I lived in Pittsburgh, the pirates were on a oldie station as well. I think it was three, uh, 3WLS, I think, is what it was on. Then they finally got put on. They finally did an all-sports talk station on the FM dial in Pittsburgh for the first time, well, I think pretty much ever. When I still lived there, they launched uh, 93.7 The Fan, and then the Pirates were – they took Pitt football, and then it was it was the Pirates they put on there as their first major entity besides Pitt football. Because, I mean, college football is huge in, in western Pennsylvania. So. Pitt football is a big deal in Pittsburgh, yeah. There's no doubt. They, they, football, they, Steelers, Pitt. They won, they won a national title back in the 70s with Dan Marino and Tony Dorsett. They haven't done anything since, but. Yeah, that was a wild ride. Well, I mean, the A's back in the day were on uh, Cal's, Cal's uh, college station. I mean, radio, is, radio has not been. <laughs> radio and the A's have not been a good mix since uh, the A's moved west from Kansas City in 1968. It's been a bumpy, bumpy ride. All right, coming up next, the president of your Oakland Athletics. we got a lot to get into. Talk about COVID-19. Talk about the AL West title. Talked about protecting the players. Talking about what's going on with the new stadium. A lot has changed. We'll talk to Dave Cavill, the president of the A's, next right here on A's Total Access. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All righty, folks. A's fans, you can win an autographed jersey signed by a current A's player or coach through the jersey off their backs sweepstakes. Sweepstake tickets are one for $5 
and 5 for 20, with all proceeds benefiting the Oakland A's Community Fund. Tickets are available at athletics.com slash jersey through the end of the regular season. Cody, if you could get one jersey off anybody with the A's, who would that jersey be? You know, I'd have to think about that for a while if, if it was any other year besides this year, but it, this year it's, it's Liam Hendricks. You're looking at a guy that could have been the – if it wasn't for Shane Bieber, could could have been a guy that could have won the AL uh, Cy Young like we talked about before the year. Uh, and this is how great of a person he is. I would go with Liam. You? I'm going Ray Fossey. I want an old-school Ray Fossey jersey. Number that, 10. That'd be good. That's that's not a bad one. I, I thought if we're doing all-time, I mean, for me – all-time Oakland A's, we're, we're probably going McGuire. Oh, Big Mac. Yeah, I mean. I don't think you'd fit that jersey. Yeah, well, yeah, no. you like a blanket on you. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a small guy, but, yeah, it'd be pretty, still be pretty big on me. All right, earlier today, I was able to catch up with our president, Dave Cavill, and we like to call this The Build. Today's episode of The Build is sponsored by Mechanics Bank, the official East Bay Bank of your Oakland Athletics. It's now time for the build with the president of your Oakland Athletics. David Cavill joins us here on A's Cast and A's Cast Live. Dave, congratulations. Your ball club is the champions of the American League West. Mission accomplished. I know you're, I know you're very proud of what these guys have been able to do. Oh, in, in such an unusual season, the COVID season, so when the AL West feels great, um, it was definitely our, our first goal that we set for ourselves in the offseason to get by the Astros, and we did that. And so it's a, it's a credit to our players, our staff, our coaching staff, everyone, Billy and David, for putting out an incredible team and the resiliency to get through this season uh, in first place in our division. Yeah, that, that, that's something that we talk with David every single week about with the general manager show and also with Bob Melvin is the fact that you have these two leaders that, you know, Winning baseball games, obviously, is, is, is what these guys are paid to do, but also keeping people safe and, and and keeping them healthy, not only physically, but also mentally. And I think that's what I think you, uh, the front office, Bob Melvin, should all be proud of, the way you guys have handled this and, and, and helped these players get through this season so they can be successful. Well, and there's no playbook for what we're going through. You know, everyone's dealing with it in their own personal lives and their families. And it's no different for the players who are human beings themselves. And, you know, all the regular, um, you know, superstitions and cadences of, of baseball has been changed. And we've had to create new ways for people um, to kind of get through it and find the custom, new customs, whether it's, you know, we have a new place in F lot out of the Coliseum for players to come and, and it's a little canteen to have food and a little workout facility there. So we're doing everything outside. And that's been really well received. And that's a totally new thing. And, you know, people like those things because, you know, we've done it in a way that you know, folks appreciate. So that's a small example of ways that we're trying to help our players adapt to this new COVID reality. And obviously it's had a positive impact because, you know, the team has, has played ex- exceptionally well this season. You know, and and I think about Major League Baseball, too, because it's different. You know, basically the NBA and the NHL, about 75% of their season was done. So it was a lot easier for them just to go into a bubble, whether it's Orlando or what they did in Canada. 
you know, I, I I like the way baseball has been able to adapt because normally baseball is not a sport that normally adapts very well to anything. I think Rob Manfred in baseball has done a very good job, wouldn't you say, of being able to change on the fly. And now that we're going to go into a bubble and the fact that they have talked with the NBA and the NHL, uh, I'm happy that they've been able to change because I think they're really doing what's best for the players. Oh, you know, I never thought I would say that baseball has been acting nimble, but we actually have. And we've, we've changed a couple of the protocols by going into the bubble for the postseason, which I think is a really wise choice. And we've done it in a way that I think the protocols, you know, while, you know, prioritizing health and safety are done in a way that allow uh, players, families and stuff to be involved. And so, so I think, I think it's been a win-win. I think the commissioner has done an exceptional job. His entire staff at the league office interfacing obviously with all the, uh, clubs as well to really work collaboratively to really try to find solutions to these things. And if, if the first solution doesn't work, trying something else, which is exactly what we've done. You know, Chris Bassett on the show yesterday said something that I think all A's fans should really understand is the one of the reasons why the A's are where they are is because of the leadership of Bob Melvin and Bob, what he means to these players and, and I, I like to bring up not only is it physical about COVID, but it's also mental. And we don't know on a day-to-day basis what these players are going through on the field, off the field, with their lives. And he's just talked about how Bob has led these guys through, whether we're talking about COVID-19, so, social injustice, uh, you know, potential hurricane in Houston, air quality with the fires on the West Coast. Uh, Chris said it beautifully about he doesn't think they are where they are without Bob Melvin and the leadership and how he's pulled so many guys aside to make sure that they're okay. Just how important is it to have a leader like Bob Melvin steering this ship going forward? Oh, we, we're blessed to have someone like Bob um, as our skipper, as the person who is spending really the most time day to day with our players, setting an example, um, you know, just being so even keel through all these crazy moments, whether it's the, orange air when we had the crazy air day and we played or whether it's you know the challenges with covid and social distancing and masking and he sets an incredible example he's easy to talk to and you know he has a lot of compassion and empathy for people so um bob is bob's the best and so happy that we have him in his role and you know obviously his the results that he's had in his career speak volumes to that and i think in a season like this it, you know, his qualities are even more important. And that's one reason we've been very successful. Now, I know we're only going to have cardboard cutouts, but how great is it that we're going to have a wild card series and it's going to be at the Coliseum? Oh, it feels great. That that has been the goal, you know, all year once we set the, you know, the terms of the season to, you know, play home playoff games and play more than one game. Like, you know, the last couple of years, we've kind of been stuck in that rut. And, you know, now we have a best of three and and really want to get through that and put our best foot forward and, you know, really make a run, a strong run here in the postseason. You know, I think this is a team that can do that. It's very resilient. And it's just about taking it one game at a time. And that's that starts next week, which is hard to believe. You pinch yourself thinking that we've gotten to that point. I've been telling people, I'm like, you're going to blink and this season's going to be over. And, and, you know, that's where we are. But, you know, one thing that I really like is that, not only is it at the Coliseum, but however this ends up, either Dodger Stadium or Petco Park, 
are kind of similar as pitchers' ballparks to the Coliseum. So I like the way this all kind of sets up for the A's heading into the postseason. Yeah, you know, actually, I think it's probably good. You know, we're playing in Dodger Stadium this week. And, yeah. you know, having the experience of playing in these venues and just getting, getting your comfort of being out on the field or in the clubhouse and how the protocols work for COVID in the different locations is probably a good thing. And so I think that could be an advantage for us. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think you just got to go out there and you got to play good baseball and you know, take it one day at a time, which I know our guys can do. And this is something that we've all been looking forward to for you know several years. You know, this was always the year we kind of marked down that, you know, you'd have the players kind of emerging together and kind of gelling and, and being at the right age to really compete in an effective way. And, and that's exactly where we are. So obviously for the ball club, eye on the prize is to win the World Series. For you, it's not only win the World Series, but it's to get a new ballpark for this fan base and this organization. Just what is it like for you trying to get this new ballpark and trying to do it during a pandemic when essentially so much stuff has just been shut down? You know, it's meant that we've had to change the priority and kind of order of operation of the approvals. Some of the public approvals are just not possible with COVID because you can't have public meetings. So we've had to kind of flip around some of the things with the environmental impact report, which was really delayed because of COVID. We've had to focus more on some of the approvals of the Air Board and the State Lands Commission, which can be done without you know those types of meetings. And we've had that success and we've made that progress, which is, I think, really important. So, you know, for us, it's all about getting that final vote at the city council. We already got our port vote. We already got our state legislation. And, you know, that's something that we want to do next year so we can, you know, have the project approved and then move forward with a groundbreaking once we get to that point. So, you know, next year, 2021, really sets up as the year uh, for the final approvals. And we'll need the community and everyone behind us to make that happen. And I got to think, you know, where we are with everything that is, that has gone on, that, that, that the support out there has to be great for, for this project. Well, I think, you know, the fact that it's $7 billion in economic impact, 6,200 permanent jobs, another 3,000 construction jobs, almost all union living wage jobs. These are huge things for our community. You know, especially Alameda County is really suffering right now, small businesses, unemployment, um, people, you know, afflicted by COVID and the economic damage. Our project can be kind of a lifeline for a lot of folks. And so I think people realize that and they know that getting it approved and streamlined and, and going quickly is important and probably more important than it was a year ago. And we're going to ensure that we do things responsibly, but that we get things going and, and get the stadium built and and get us out down to the waterfront. How much have the dates changed for the project because of COVID-19? Well, you know, we were originally going to get look for these city council approvals this summer, which has obviously come and gone. And so that was really just not possible because all the traditional mechanisms to do that were shut down because of COVID. Um, so, you know, that, that basically amounts to kind of a year delay in that time to get that approval. But we've been able to do other things in the meantime that we would have done next year. So, you know, I think that helps us kind of close the gap in terms of the timing. Um, but then also, you know, we don't exactly know how long the COVID is going to go. Yeah. So, like, you know, we're assuming that things are going to be more normal next year. But, you know, if those things persist, you know, it could change things again. But we, 
we have to kind of put a stake in the ground and say, hey, and next summer we want to take a vote. We want to ensure that we work with the city to find the best way to do that safely, of course, legally, but do it in a way where we can advance the project. You know, our sport is unique that we can really kind of change our schedule and, and start playing double headers. I mean, you, you've run other leagues. I, I, I don't know how it's really going to work for the NBA and the NHL when they start talking about, well, maybe we'll start our season in 2021, not 2020. You start backing up your schedule. I think that's where our league is different. We can be more flexible. I'm not sure the other leagues can be as flexible, and you can't play a whole season in a bubble. No, there's no way to play a whole season in the bubble. It just doesn't work. And I think, you know, you see that with soccer. You see that with, you know, obviously the NBA. And then if you have a much shorter season, you almost have more just like a tournament than a season. And so I think those leagues might have to change their um, competition framework completely uh, next year, especially if they things continue to get delayed. And you saw that with MLS. They did a tournament, you know, really in the summer as opposed to individual games for that reason. So you might see more of that, Tony, in other sports as people still kind of grapple with the best way to approach COVID. What did you think when the commissioner came out and talked about fans at the NLCS and at the World Series in Texas? Well, you know, I think, obviously, we've said this from the beginning, the health and safety of everybody involved in this effort is the number one thing. So everything we do as a league or as a team, a club, uh, needs to be through that lens, and we need to make sure that we're working with the local health uh, authorities on that. You know, different states and different counties have different levels of COVID, and different regulations. Um, so, you know, I don't think that would happen here in California, but you know, maybe in a different state it could happen, but you know, have to do it in a way that makes sense for the players and the union and make sure everyone feels good about it because um, that's really the most important thing here. Well, I think you got to be proud of how you and the rest of your organization has handled this. You know, there was one COVID test, the ball club survived it, the ball club's going to get through Everybody feels safe. And that's the thing. When I talk to the players, and we talked to Bob Melvin and his staff, and we're talking to Scott Emerson today, the fact that they feel safe is such a big deal. And what you and your staff has done has allowed them to not only feel safe, but to be able to compete at a level to where they feel they can go out and play and win and do their jobs. That, that, that's been the number one thing. So, let me just say congratulations to what you guys have been able to do for, for this organization. Tony, thank you so much. And, you know, obviously we're really excited for our fans to watch this playoff run and, you know, it's only about a week away. So let's, let's make this thing happen. I know it, it it's going to be, isn't it going to be great? I mean, the, to have the playoffs at the Coliseum to start out and, and then head to Southern California, this is going to be a special time for this organization. Absolutely. It's going to be exciting. How about that? Dave Cavill, the president of your organization. We'll put that up on A's cast too, the build, so you can hear it as it's just a reality that with COVID-19 and the way that it's been dealt with in Northern California, you just, you, you can't, you can't meet, you can't meet person, person to person. And it's just different here than than a lot of different places. So, of course, there's going to be setbacks. There are going to be setbacks on a lot of projects all across the country. But this also is a time where I do believe 
that the powers that be that are going to make this happen, and I'm not talking from the A standpoint, I'm talking about politicians and council members. And I, I think all these people are going to realize coming out of this just how important this project is to the city of Oakland for the jobs, for the growth. And things might have changed, too. I mean, I think that a lot of people are on board, but I think there's going to be even more people on board because there's other projects that were in the works that have been called off. And they're being delayed. But some have just been called off. And you're going to see that a lot in towns across the country that, you know, I, I don't know when a lot of us are going to go back to a regular lifestyle. I mean, I got buddies who work in tech who they've been told they're not going back to the office till at least next August. I was like, what? There are so many buildings in the Bay Area just vacant. And I don't know when a lot now. There's some I, I, I've, you know, played golf with some people, you know, guys that I don't even know because I go out early in the morning as a solo. So I ended up playing with three people I don't know. You know, there's been one guy I played with who his boss wanted to get people back in the office. So they've come back slowly. But whenever you're, if, if you were to do that, there's got to be testing. There's got to be, there's a lot that has to be done if you're going to do it in Northern California. You know, for example, I can't go to a restaurant here in San Jose, but my family restaurant in San Diego, there's people in it right now as we speak eating. It's just, everything's different. There's going to be no fans in the stands in San Diego or in Los Angeles for these playoffs, but yet there's going to be fans in Texas and there's going to be fans for the NLCS and there's going to be fans for the World Series. Each state, each town, each county, it's just different everywhere. Crazy times. But I got a lot of faith in Dave that he's going to get this done. And I think I, I think the city of Oakland and everybody who runs it, they know they need... You've lost two professional sports teams without much of a fight. Those businesses, those tax dollars, gone. Think of all the people that worked at Oracle, all the people that worked at the Coliseum for football games. That paycheck, gone. I mean, where there weren't big demonstrations, people flipping out that they were leaving. Warriors took their business to San Francisco. Raiders took their business to Las Vegas. I don't believe there's ever been a city in the United States of America who has lost. So there, there, there's the big four, NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, and NHL. I don't believe there's any town in America who's lost three who had three and lost three. Now the Warriors were in San Francisco, then they came to Oakland, then they go back. Raiders went down to LA, then they came back. But you had, you had three. I can't imagine losing all three. 
And it's sad, it, you know, it's sad to say that that COVID-19 could actually, in the end, help the project. Sad to say that, but could be true. We want to, we all want to see it get done. But until then, you need to take advantage of how you play at the Coliseum to where the A's have been fantastic at home this year. And it's a place people don't like playing. These spoiled athletes, they're used to the, the best facilities. They're used to all these, you know, retro ballparks. You know, even though a place like, you know, we talked about when the A's played there, even though Coors Field was built years ago, it's still a great facility. Or Candom Yards or one of these places. That's what these guys are used to. They're not used to playing in Tampa. They're not used to playing in Oakland. These are old facilities that everybody's trying to get out of. And I can tell you that Trop, Tropicana Field is terrible. It is just like, when you go into it, you're like, who thought this was going to be great? Like, who's the architect? Who's the engineers? Who who came up with this? Like, if you had a blueprint and you could make it kind of anything you want, why would you make it like this? And let's face it, all of the, the old buildings built in the 60s that were, you know, because back in the day, it was smart. You're going to play football and baseball here. It's going to be one facility for multiple teams. You had it in every town. Three Rivers, Riverfront, Jack Murphy, the Orange Bowl. The Orange Bowl, you had two, you had a couple. You, 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 had, uh, you had the Dolphins and you had the University of Miami. Joe Robbie Stadium in Miami. You had the Dolphins and you had the Marlins. Don't forget, Fenway Park used to be the home of the Patriots. Wrigley Field used to be the home of the Chicago Bears. Yankee Stadium was the New yeah, the New York football giants. Baltimore, what was that? It was, oh, God, Memorial Stadium? No, you know, they got me trying to think because all I can think of was M&T Bank Stadium where the Ravens played. No, 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 no. I think it was Memorial Stadium. Um, yeah, they played football games at Dodger Stadium. They once had the Dodgers playing at the L.A. Coliseum where USC plays, and the Raiders ended up playing there. Memorial Stadium, you were right. The, you know, the Astrodome had the Oilers and the Astros. Most of these places back in the day were dual facilities. And then someone said, I want my own. And Camden Yards really kicked this off. All right, coming up next. So once again, I believe in Dave. I think this thing is going, I think more than ever, I believe this thing is going to get done. Coming up next, a half hour of Ray Fossey. And by the way, this isn't A's total access. I screwed up. I have so many names. I got clubhouse. I got access. The Raiders was the worst. Round table. The pre, whenever the pregame and the postgame and all the, they have all different names. They start running all together. This is A's cast live. You're listening to Ray Fossey next. Broadcasting from the town. A's cast live continues. Into the. Left field corner is Pollock, and that hit the foul pole, and that's a home run. Grossman goes the other way off the left field foul pole, 
And the A's will take it. It's 1-0. That was the call of the game yesterday by Glenn Kuyper on NBC Sports California. For live streaming A's games, get the My Teams app by NBC Sports. Plus tons of A's articles, features, videos, and more. Download My Teams by NBC Sports Now, the app for the authentic A's fan. Yeah, I just want to say that we've lost a football great. Gail Sayers passes away at mm. 77, the Kansas Comet. Uh, mm. What a great running back he was. Just look at his highlights. That guy was, uh, you couldn't, before he hurt his knee, you couldn't uh, tackle that guy. So our thoughts and prayers go out to Gail Sayers, his family, because uh, got to interview him a couple times. What a gentleman he was, and uh, just sad. Ray Fossey, how are you? Tony, I'm sorry to hear that sad news. That's, that's that's terrible news, as a matter of fact. Yeah, yeah, I just uh, it came down a little bit ago, and uh, I just wanted to throw it out there. I know we're a baseball show, but we also like NFL, and he was greatness. I mean, when you watched him, Ray, I mean, you go back and look at those old films, him and Dick Butkus and the Monsters of the yeah, Midway. Yeah. But, I mean, I think he scored like six touchdowns in one game at Wrigley Field, and uh, he was a great player. He was all over the field. I remember just watching him as a running back. I mean, you talk about going side to side, forward, backwards. I mean, he could elude tackles better than anybody I've ever seen. And uh, it, was, it was amazing watching him. And, man, just so many, so many great, great people have passed away in this horrible, horrible 2020 year. Can we get over it and get through it and get done with it? You know, let the A's win the World Series and let's go on, you know? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, it's it's this, this year has sucked. There's no question yeah. about it. Uh, Ray, we did this earlier in the show. So if people are just joining us, um, we started looking at some numbers of A's offensive uh, players the last X amount of games. And there's a lot of guys who are in the starting lineup that are hitting at 200 or under 200. Yeah. This offense is completely cold. County and the sad part about that, really, they've been cold since the end of last year, last season. Because if you remember going into the wild card play-in game, they did absolutely nothing offensively. And Charlie Morton and the and the Tampa Bay Rays, of course, the leadoff home run in the game didn't help. But you know, just no offense. And you know, there were a lot of hopes uh, during spring training down on Mesa, and then the shutdown, and then spring training point two or whatever they want to call it. And then, you know, all the numbers, uh, you start looking at the numbers and offensively. And the one thing that I have enjoyed listening to you, and I enjoy your post-game show because I, I get to pull it up on iHeartRadio now and A's cast. And so that, that's special for me as I'm driving home because, you know, I, I'm one of those that, uh, as you always say, if all of your station's not carrying it, shift over. And so I just, as soon as I leave the Coliseum, that's, I turn you on. You're, you're, you, you do a great job on that post game. And, and by the way, before I get Cody, do an excellent job on that uh, commercial read too, by the way. That was, uh, that was very nicely done by the commander, Cody. But, you know, I, I think what happens, Townie, you get in postseason, you're going to face good pitchers. And because of that, if you're not hitting and you're not making, as you say, contact, you're going to be in trouble. And the strikeouts, and, and granted, across baseball, there have been a lot of strikeouts. But your Oakland A's or our Oakland A's have been striking out a lot. A lot of things have not been going the right way offensively. And now you're starting to see maybe a little bit of tiredness in the bullpen. Um, the, the way I've looked at it, 
personally is that a 60-game schedule, why give guys days off? And I noticed the lineup tonight, nobody, you know, everybody's playing, and, and which is good. And I, I think the, the way it should be all the way through the end of the season because, again, this is not 162 games where you're going down the final week and you've clinched a division and you arrest some guys. I can understand maybe if a guy's hurt or something. But, you know, the bottom line, I think you should play the team that's going to be out there starting next week and postseason so that there can be guys who maybe start picking it up a little bit better with the bat and carrying it into postseason because you don't want to go in relying on the long ball because that's not always going to happen in postseason because you are going to face the best pitchers, the best teams, et cetera. And I think after you advance past the, uh, the first round, which, you know, Tony, if you look back in 12, 2012, when the A's won the last day of the season, it was the Tigers who had home field advantage the first two. The A's were supposed to, but because the Tigers had clinched, it gave, they, Major League Baseball gave it to them, and the A's ended up having a better record. And being down two games to nothing, all the Tigers had to do was win one game. They ended up winning game five because of the big comeback by the Athletics in game four. But, you know, again, here we are in this season. The A's won the division, and you, you think you have a five-game first round but now, all of a sudden, you're in this uh, a, a extra wild card with the best of three. And essentially, that's what you're looking at. And then, if you win that, you can go to the division. So, you know, the way you've been describing it as a tournament, I look at it, I see those brackets, and I'm going, give me a break. This is not baseball, man. This, this is, looks like it's a uh, March Madness and seeing all those brackets the way they're, they're working out. But, uh, you know, uh, back to your original statement, offense is important. And I've always felt pitching and defense is going to win games, but you still have to have to score runs. And, and especially if you have the pitching and defense, your pitching is going to be much better if they look on the board and they see some runs up there. And, you know, we always talk about, well, the club scores seven runs, the pitchers, you know, doesn't have a lot of time. Heck with that. He's happy with seven runs because it makes his job easier on the mound. He could afford to make a mistake and give up a home run. If you don't score runs and your offense is not clicking, and you make a mistake, all of a sudden you're trailing, and that's not what you want to have going into postseason. So somehow, some way, I think the players, personally, uh, I don't know how you feel about it uh, or how Billy and David and Bob Melvin and Darren Bush and Scott Emerson play this last week like it's the beginning of postseason and be ready to go firsthand next week when postseason does begin. I'm going to make a prediction. Prediction Wednesday. You ready for this? I'm ready. Bob Melvin has said that Chris Bassett is going to go Friday. I bet you tomorrow for A's Cast Live, we're going to talk about how Chris Bassett is actually going tomorrow, and he will be your game one starter. I don't believe he's going to be game two. Because who would be be game one over him? Uh, Nobody. Right? The first game for the first game for the A's will be when on is it on Tuesday or Wednesday? Tuesday. Whoever Tuesday. whoever goes tomorrow will be in line. If you're just gonna try and yeah. keep a guy in line, whoever goes tomorrow, I mean, wouldn't you? That's right. Don't you want that that five day? Don't you want to keep that guy on track? Well, that's that's exactly right. And and we were talking last night on on radio about who's going to be the opening starter. I said, guys, it's very simple. If you start after Thursday you're not going to be in line because it's not going to be a fifth day by the time you get to Tuesday. And so I said, anybody leading up to Thursday, and then of course, uh, I think Ken mentioned it, and he was correct that you could throw a few innings. But I, I think it's going to be all hands on deck. And someone talked about 
let, let's say you get in a three-game series and, and maybe somebody pitches uh, Sunday, for example, and, and would not be if he's on the roster, but he's probably not going to pitch. Who's to say he wouldn't come out of the bullpen instead of having his side session in the bullpen? He comes in and gives you two to three innings out of the bullpen, out of the bullpen in, in the game instead of throwing in the bullpen. That's what A.J. Hinson in 2017, what he did. He took a lot of the starters to the bullpen, and they came in, and they were lights out. It takes them a little longer to get ready because if they're starters, they have their routine that they go through, and they can take their time and be ready to go based on what the routine is. But, uh, you know, in a, in a three best-of-three series, you know, which is more important, game one, game two? You know, it could be either one. The Yankees, you think back to the flip by uh, Derek Jeter, and – you know, all of a sudden, Mariano Rivera comes in and pitches two innings, but it seemed like game three of a five-game series is the most important game. So does that make game two of a three-game series the most important? I'd say yes. I'd say it's very important because if you win game one, you have a chance to close it out in game two. If you lose game one, you have a chance to even it up by having one of your better pitchers pitch game two. So uh, I agree with you, and let's see what happens tomorrow because. Um, you know, let's say Chris Bassett pitches. He doesn't have to go. The A's have clinched. So he doesn't have to go, you know, 100 pitches or whatever it might be. He can just get tuned up for Tuesday's game if that's the way it is. Or he could pitch his normal game because he would be on turn, like you said. Yeah, I just – do, do we have to trick it up? I mean, no. this, this hasn't <laughs> worked. It didn't work in New York. Having yeah. Mania just because you thought he was the hot hand, it didn't work. I mean, right. Chris, Chris Chris Bassett has not pitched since Friday. So you're going to yeah. have him now not pitch for an entire week. Why can't Bassett just go tomorrow, have him on yeah. regular turn, do the regular – how about just some regular stuff? Not Don't overthink it. You don't need to yeah. overthink it. Tony, the only thing that could change everything is that you know, everything is a matchup. Everything is uh, the opposing team. Who who are you playing? You know, how does the pitcher match up against them? Well, if he's going to be one of your top three pitchers, does it really matter whether it's one, two, or three? If he's going to be in your top three, it doesn't matter who you play because uh, – and the only thing with that is it could go to Sunday as far as the, the seeded one, two, three, and then whomever after that. Right? It looks like right now that the Astros are number six. So if you're three, you're going to play the Astros. And if the A's end up three, they're going to play them. I think it would be great to play the Astros at home, the three games, play it at the Coliseum, because the A's play everybody well at the Coliseum. But, you know, where, where are you putting Mike Fires in this, uh, this rotation that you have? Because I know you've been, you've been uh, really high. I, I, I mean, I know I'm high on him. I just have a feeling they're not going to – I just have a feeling he's not going to get a start. At all? Not not in the first series. I would be surprised. So you so you're probably thinking it's gonna be Bassett, Manaya, and Lazardo. Correct. Yeah. Now for me, Lazardo, I I I just I, I understand everybody loves this stuff, plays in the postseason stuff. I mean, I, I get it, but I just that's a lot of pressure. You can put him out there game one. No, I listen, I was just gonna say Experience in postseason is paramount, I believe. I believe it, especially, let, let's say if your club is not scoring and, and really outscoring everybody and just blowing them out of the water, 
which you can afford to have somebody make a mistake. But if you're playing tight games and mistakes are critical, then you want the experience, somebody that's not going to be rattled about what happened. You had a caller last night talking about Mike Fires, and I agree with you. Houston, they, he, they knew everything he was throwing in Houston last year. And so, you know, whether, whether it well, it was just, it happened. And I said it on the air, so it's not like I'm saying something out of school. I said, they're swinging like they know what's coming. Well, they did. Mike Fires <laughs> did what he did, and they obliterated him. And then, the, as the gentleman said who called in, well, the A's won the next three. Yeah, because they changed everything, just like the Nationals did whenever they change signs all the time. So, and, and maybe the Astros just say, hey, we want to win game one. We don't care about two, three, and four. And, and they did. And, and Mike Fires gave up like nine earnings. But uh, I, I don't believe that you can look at that game in Houston and deny Mike Fires the possibility of starting because here's a guy that has experience. When you pitch two no-hitters, that's experience, man. You know, that's, that's going nine. That's, that's knowing what it's all about. And, you know, you might have a great defensive play behind you like Laureano did last year and Robbie Votto on the home run. But, you know, bottom line, you, you know, your guys know that that veteran's on the mound. He's got a chance to win because of his success at the Coliseum like you have talked about and the numbers that you've thrown out. And, and again, I'm not trying to put words in Bob Melvin or Dave Forrest or, or Billy Bean's mind um, or, or Scott Emerson about who's going to start. They, they're going to make up their own mind. But uh, I don't think Mike Fires should be denied because of maybe somebody else. I think having experienced that myself, um, when you're playing one-run games, low-scoring games, you want the experience of somebody that can handle. And, and let's say an account of you're, you're behind 2-0. and Is he going to panic, get to 3-0, and and groove a fast point, he's going to swing? Or does he come back down? You know, Catfish Hunter did that a lot, where he had nibble. And then get behind uh, uh, two two balls and no strikes. Next next thing you know, he's striking out the batter because that was the experience of the pitcher. And I think that's what Mike Fires can bring. Lazardo's got the stuff. Manaya, I mean, the, I, I think all five are capable. Maybe even six are capable of starting. But um, I, I just don't think Mike Fires should be, be denied the third year in a row of doing something that first round. We lose you. Yeah, I'm back. And I problem oh. is when you go to a the way our system works, Ray, is when you surf the internet and a video comes up, you started hearing a commercial and I couldn't get rid of it. Uh, I was looking okay. to see when did when did Jesus Lazardo last go? I was like, it was Saturday, right? So you could yeah. see Jesus Lazardo starting tomorrow, and that would mean he's game one. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, and, and you know what? If that's the case, because you know, the newfound slider, um, you know, I, I'm looking, it, it pitched against the Giants, yeah, on the 19th, and six innings, five hits, no runs, no walks, seven strikeouts, and, you know, won the game, the A's won six to nothing, one of their, their shutouts. But, you know, he pitched well, and he said he found the slider. But, you know, it's regular season, Tony. It's regular season. And I, I just think, uh, I just, I would, I'm looking at a, a, a 50th anniversary ticket of Raleigh Fingers. It's about experience. You know, that's kind of what you want when you get the postseason. And, uh, you know, eventually the first round is the most critical because once you get past the first round, everybody has to pitch because it becomes a 5-7 and then the World Series, if you're fortunate to go there, you get the off days. But after the first round, it's straight through. So you need five starters for the second and third round considering there's no off days. So pick and choose whoever you want to the first three and be confident that those three are going to get you to the second round and then you don't have to worry about it. It's just a matter of how you're going to set them up. 
you know, as far as one, two, three, four, five. But, uh, you know, with no off days in the first three rounds, it, it's a critical time. But, man, I, I can't say enough about experience because, like I said, I, I've been there, I've seen it, I've caught them, and I've broadcast them. And the guys with experience, you don't see panic. And, and I think that's the biggest thing. When the guy's on the mound getting the signs and making the pitch, you don't see panic. And if you don't see that, then you know guys not worried and not concerned about what's going to what's going to be happening. Yeah, because the thing that I think about when you go, well, hey, he could just throw a couple innings on Friday, or hey, he can throw a couple yeah. innings on Saturday. It's like I want to keep, I want normalcy. I want to keep because right now, yeah. Bassett, that would be six days since he's thrown, and then you got Lazardo would be his normal turn tomorrow. So. Right. Whoever it is, whoever they want to throw game one, if they called me, which they're not, but if they called me and wanted my advice, I would say that person should throw tomorrow so they're on turn, regularly, yeah. uh, regular, normal on Tuesday for game one. And then if you have – and then whoever's going to go game two should start on game five. So he'll be on normal turn for game two. For game two. You know, they're not going to call me either, Tony. <laughs> but I, but, but I, I do agree with you because, you know, again, I go back to this shortened 60-game schedule. A starting pitcher is not going to make more than 12 starts. And you look at the times that the A's, unfortunately, have had to shut things down uh, between a, a protest in, uh, in um, um, uh, Houston and, and Arlington, Texas, and then – the shutdown of the series in Seattle. And, and all of a sudden, guys are coming back with eight, nine days in between. You need the regular turn, like you're talking about, for the the uh, the backing up your mechanics, you know, repeating your mechanics and doing those things as a pitcher. And I think that's, what's, that's what Frankie Montas is going through right now. In addition to, as another one of your callers called last night, talk about backing off of that 98-mile-an-hour fastball. You know, it is straight. It's a four-seam. And guys can hit it. And that's what happened last night in Los Angeles. The way the ball was carrying for some reason. But, uh, you know, you, you, if you take a little bit off of it and, um, you know, good things could happen. But, but I think if a pitcher gets out of whack uh, as far as too much, time, too much time in between starts, I think they're too strong in some cases. Their mechanics are off. And to me, Bassett is, is one of the most intelligent because he realizes himself that if his mechanics aren't working properly out of the windup, you'll see him go out of the other stretch because he knows that will simplify his delivery. So he's smart enough to do that. And I think some other guys will say, okay, I'll just keep hammering, keep going, keep going. You fall behind and you get two and oh, three and one, three and two, three and oh. I mean, you're going to have guys laying on whatever. I don't care. It's 120 mile hour fastball. They'll load up and they're going to swing at it and they're probably going to hit it hard. And, uh, but I, I just think I, I agree with you 100%. Keep them on turn because it, you're making only 12 starts, if that's the case. And, and I have to look through my book to see, and, you know, they're just not making a lot of starts. And, you know, Bassett has made 10, and he's going to make one more, right? And that's, that's going to be I, it. I, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I mean, it's one thing if you wrap it up in, in 100, 162 games. But, yeah, I mean, you want to keep these guys, you know, you're, you're – Usually by this point, you're starting to really start to peak and feel good about yourself. So why would I only want to go three innings? I want to go yeah. my, my six, seven innings. And the other yeah. thing, Ray, that I start thinking about is you still have a shot. I, I, I think it's going to be tough. I mean, Tampa would have to implode. 
but you still have a shot to be the number two seed, not the number three yeah. seed. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And, and I, I, I agree 100%. And, and if you play it out, and, you know, so let, let's look at it this way, Tony. If, if you combine the lack of A's offense and you combine a shortened season, and I just looked through my book, Motas, who was the opening night starter, made his 10th start last night. So if he goes on normal turn and starts Sunday, it will be 11. So you're looking really in a 60-game schedule less than the 12. If you start the season and every game is played at 60 games and you're, you're divided by the five, you're getting 12 starts from each starting pitcher. You know, Mike Miner stepped in, made a start, and made a few starts. So you're looking at instead of 30 to 32, 33, 34, you're looking at 10, 11, 12 max. I agree with you. Play it out. It's as if you're playing an extra three games against whomever you're playing starting next week. It just happens to be a very critical series. And I, I agree. You know, Bob Melvin talked about off days. Laureano got an off day last night, uh, the game off. So he had back-to-back games. I'm happy to see Chris Davis in there, even though it looks like the um, Dodgers might be going with uh, bullpen because Joe Kelly's going to start yeah. instead of who, who they had scheduled. So, you know, you know, you, you look at the Dodgers lineup. It's their lineup. It's the same one they had last night. I don't believe that postseason teams are going to change that much last week just because they've already clinched. I think they want to stay just like you said, stay on turn, keep, you know, your, your rhythm, if you will, as a hitter, and just try to pick up and feel confident going into that first round because that is going to be the most critical probably of all the rounds a team's going to play. It's going to be fascinating to see what they do because, like, like you know, like I said, you I mean you still have a chance at the number. I, I even though seeding, you got to beat everybody's going to be good. I, I still just would rather be the two seed than the three seed. So, does it line up like Lazardo tomorrow, Bassett Friday, Susan Slusser has out there that Melvin's saying it's Friday, but he can come out and just say anything he wants at this point because that that plan could yeah. change and. Yeah. You have Mania go on Saturday, so those three would line up for one, two, and three. Yeah, I, I agree, but you, you know, but but Tony, you, you know, you said it best. You said it best. Let them pitch. Let them. You know, I mean, you, you, you're always concerned about somebody getting hurt, but hey, if they get hurt, they're going to get hurt anyway. But why not have them stay on turn so that when they do go into games one, two, and three, hopefully just two in the the first round, you get it over with, and you win the first two. But if you happen to go three, you've got three good starters. And then here we go on a five game and a seven game. But, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. Keep everything normal and then ride with it. And, you, you know, again, get back to 162 games. You spring training 162, yeah, guys are beating up a little bit, tired, whatever. That's one thing. But if your offense is not clicking, you better, I think, get as many at-bats as you can for as the guys that you're going to depend on in postseason. So, Manaya's going today. So what would – yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out. Hey, hey Tony, Tata, you know what? You said it best. They're not going to call us. We could talk yeah. to them. We're blue in the face. They're not going to call us. They're going to make up their minds and all that. But uh, I, I just think that, you know, first and foremost, you look around the teams that are going to be in. And, and also, look at it this way. I think, Tony, the A's have won the division, which is what they wanted to do. Win the division. The only bad part is that it's a three-game series at the beginning instead of two teams playing as a wild card and the A's being guaranteed a five-game series. This year, that's not a guarantee because of the unfortunate season, the way things have happened. But the A's do know they're one of top. They've won the division, and they're going to play somebody uh, four, five, or six. 
uh, I, I, our, our power is going to work out. Our, our eight seven six uh, as far as the uh, the uh, the first round. And you know, it, it is what it is. It's not going to change. But the fact the A's did win the division, and whether it goes to the end of the season on Saturday or Sunday, and you say, oh, that's the team we're going to play. I don't think it's going to change that much between Sunday and Tuesday as to who's going to be starting. They're going to make their decision, I would think, like you, effective starting tomorrow night because that pitcher tomorrow night is going to be on the normal turn on Tuesday and then go from there. But, you know, it, it, to me, if, if there's any rest necessary, maybe it'd be the bullpen because all of a sudden they're giving up a few runs. They're walking probably more than we've seen all year. And, you know, the, the, the starting pitchers probably should step up and, and go their six to seven innings and then just mix and match in the back end of the bullpen instead of having to try to, uh, to bring in guys and, and wear them out uh, because we're not seeing some good things that we've seen throughout this season from the bullpen. All right, Ray, uh, I'm going to talk to you probably in about 40, around 40 minutes from now. That's great. How's the commander doing okay? Commander, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Ray, and, and we're, we're talking about all these game one starters and who could be the game one starter for the A's? I don't know if any, if either of you guys saw this. Mike Clevenger, the guy that the uh, Padres acquired, uh, he left his start early with a it was like biceps uh, tightness. There, the fear is he might not even pitch in the playoffs for the Padres. He's having MRI done, and Max Freed from the uh, Atlanta Braves left his start early. He's undefeated and hasn't given up a home run yet this year. So we're seeing a yeah, lot amazing. of. Uh, that 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 whole stat's crazy. No losses and no home runs allowed, and he is an he's like an ERA right around two. Uh, but it's yeah. crazy the two guys that could be game one starters going down on the same day. And here we are trying yeah. to figure out who's yeah. going to start game one for the A's next Tuesday. And you know what, Tony and Cody, I think back in the seventies, and I know people get tired of me talking about it. Catfish is starting Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Catfish is starting Tuesday. If not, if he has to win to get us in there, then it'd be Holtzman or Vida or Blue Moon. I don't care who it's going to be because have a lead in the sixth inning and Raleigh's going to come in and close it out with three innings. So, you know, <laughs> there's no big issues, you know. But, but you know, it's fun to talk about and it, it's fun to, to do and, and, and kind of, uh, you know, all fans. And, and, again, I enjoy your post game because fans call in and, you know, this is my idea. This is what I think the A should do. You know, nobody's going to listen to anybody because the powers to be are going to make the decision. We're going to find out sooner than later. But um, I, the thing that I agree with you most importantly is that let them play as if it's just another start on Tuesday. Whoever's in line starts tomorrow night, and they'll start on Tuesday. Let the offense get their bats, you know, and if it's, if it's a blowout one way or the other, I just think they need to be competitive all the way through the end of the season take the normal one day off and let's start on Tuesday. Ray, let's end on this. Do you think it's a possibility they don't know yet? Uh, yeah, I do. Because if, if they're waiting to see who they're going to play, then uh, I, I think that's it. I, I, I'd say that, and you know, that's why I say it could go down to Sunday, but I don't believe you can, you can have, because what you said is true. Whoever starts tomorrow is in line to start. You can't have somebody pitch on Sunday and say, oh, we're playing, let's say we're playing the Indians in Houston, we want that guy to pitch. He can't because he's not going to come back with one-day rest. You know, so I, I'd say that probably like you said, by tomorrow they probably will have determined who's going to be starting uh, unless they decide to go a few innings for a guy. But uh, to your point, I mean, you look, you look at the innings pitched by pitchers, 
and you know, let them pitch because again, when you're playing on a 60 game season, 60 games, you know, that's, that's just a little less, what, a little, a little over a third. I mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable the, how quickly it's gone. And here we are in postseason. So, you know, it's almost like you look at October as regular season, except if you lose the first two out of three, you're going home or three out of five in the next, you're going home or four out of seven in the next. So uh, there, there's more pressure. But I like the fact that there are certain guys, and I go back to Mike Fires. He's, he's a veteran. He knows how to pitch. And how many guys look to him when he takes the mound as they feel that he's got a chance to win? And to me, that says a lot about Mike Fires. Ray, have a great call tonight. I'll talk to you very shortly, my friend. You guys take care. The great Ray Fossey right here on A's Cast Live. So, if if Melvin's not, you know, I how do how do I want to navigate these waters? Um, I still think Bassett is a possible tomorrow. I mean, you can flip flop Bassett tomorrow, Lizardo on on Friday. You can flip flop that. You can do whatever you want. I just, for me, I would want them still to throw like five, six innings. I mean, you're getting, you, you've built up your strength. You're ready to rock. Every five days, you're ready to go. I, I, I just, I'd like to keep just a nor, just normalcy, just a normal game plan. And maybe some of these pitchers getting hurt will scare you, but I just, I want some normalcy. People, athletes are creatures of habit. They have their rituals. They have the things that they do. And starting pitchers are no different as they want to take the ball every five days. So instead of saying, no, we're not going to do that. We'll have you just go three here and you go two and you do that. I mean, A.J. Hinch is doing that after a 162-game season. These guys are just, they're, they're gaining their stride right now. I want to keep it normal. But we'll see. Because the whole time thinking about that, my, I'm thinking like, I'm like, oh, I forgot he's going tonight. And when I'm thinking about fires, this is what cra- what's crazy about the whole situation. If you're trying to think of how Mike Fires plays into the rotation, if you play Houston, Bassett's already pitched against Houston. Manaya's pitched against Houston. Uh, Lazardo. Which pitcher on the Oakland A's hasn't faced the Houston Astros this year? That'd be Mike Fires, who has not pitched against the Astros in 2020 in the in the nine games they faced the Astros this year. So that's, I mean, maybe you're adding an element of surprise there, but that's also one of the biggest storylines that maybe that we're trying to avoid from what happened in the past offseason. But I, I just don't understand how he, if you go through up in, uh, into a three-game series and he's not in your rotation, how do you do that three years in a row? And you, you gave the numbers – to Emo, which people will hear shortly, how good he's been since he's been with the A's. I don't get how you don't give him a shot to pitch in the playoffs. I just, but then again, uh, there's people that get paid a lot more money than I do to make these decisions. So uh, I, I I trust in them, and we'll we'll see what it, what happens. But I, just, I know what I've said, and I know what I bet on. I know I would put him in there, but I would bet that they don't. You're probably right, and it just I don't know. It, and Sean and I has pitched a lot better lately after the. I mean, it was hard for him to get out of the, the fourth inning and third inning the first couple starts of the year, and he's pitched much better. He has. 
But, I, I mean, it's it's hard to not think about what happened in the Walker game last year. The first batter of the game, Yandy, Yandy Diaz hits that that rocket out of the ballpark, and they're, they're already down one nothing. and you take the entire energy of the ballpark out of there, which that's not really – that's not a factor this year, but still it's just – I know. For me, I I always look at those things as like revisionist history, where you have to remember those things. But again, Bass has been the A's best pitcher all year. But it's going to be. I mean, he's pitching Friday, which means he'll pitch technically on rest. He pitched Game Two on Wednesday, so hopefully we find out more in the next couple of days. You can't wait till Sunday to decide who's going to start and seeing who you play. So I think it'll come out probably by Friday or Saturday who's going to pitch Game One. Coming up next, Scott Emerson, the pitching coach of your Oakland Athletics, right here on A's Cast Live. COVID-19 is more than a health crisis. It's a financial crisis for many California families. In this moment, you shouldn't have to worry about keeping the lights on. That's why at PG&E, we want you to know about our programs to reduce bills for customers facing economic hardship, that we've suspended all disconnections because of non-payment, and we can help you save money by using less energy. To learn more, visit safetyactioncenter.pge.com. Some things just go together. Peanut butter and jelly, cookies and milk, Oakland and Kaiser Permanente. If that last one caught you off guard, it shouldn't, because Kaiser Permanente has been helping keep Oakland healthy since our very beginning. And as the official healthcare partner of the Oakland A's, that won't be changing anytime soon. Whatever you may need, you can trust Kaiser Permanente to help keep you feeling your best. Kaiser Permanente. Thrive. Visit kp.org today. Right now, staying connected is more important than ever, and fast, reliable internet from Xfinity can help. We have plans to fit every budget, with speeds up to a gig, all at Xfinity.com. We'll ship you a self-install kit on us to make setup quick, safe, and easy. No tech visit required. And our simple digital tools will help you manage your account online. At Xfinity, we're committed to keeping you connected. Find great offers and value today at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. This is Chris Townsend for the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek. If you're looking for some beautiful outdoor dining, then look no further than the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek. Come try the world-famous Chicken Pie Dinner that has been served in Southern California for over 80 years and one of the most dynamic menus in Walnut Creek. The Chicken Pie Shop also has a full takeout menu and delivery. You go to chickenpieshopwc.com. That's chickenpieshopwc.com. Don't forget, they can also deliver beer, wine, and spirits. You go to chickenpieshopwc.com. You don't need to understand how available adaptive variable suspension works or how pre-collision cameras detect pedestrians in low light. You don't need to understand any of the craft that went into the Lexus ES to feel it. With outstanding connectivity and standard Lexus Safety System Plus 2.0, experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. LSS Plus 2.0 and the pre-collision system with pedestrian detection are not a substitute for safe and attentive driving practices. See owner's manual for additional limitations and details. Hi, this is Sean Manaya. Sean Manaya has no hit the Red Sox. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Yeah, we have no, we, we don't know who the team's going to play yet. And you're still playing, I mean, even though you can say, well, really, what does a seeding mean? I, I'd still rather be the two seed than the three seed. And maybe just maybe something happens to Tampa and you could catch Tampa. What hap- What's the tiebreaker? Do we know what the tiebreaker is? Any idea? 
I want to say it doesn't go by. I want to say maybe it's head to head. But you can't go head to head if the Rays and A's never play. Oh each yeah, other. oh yeah. Sorry, I, I, the thing that picked, popped in my head was the, what the Twins and the White Sox how they're head to head. That works. Uh, or, or the A's and the be, White Sox for the number two seed. What's the tiebreaker? It might be the record. Uh, maybe record versus division. I would have to say. I mean, that's the only way you could really do it. What your who had the better record against their own division? All right, earlier today, we caught up with the pitching coach of your Oakland Athletics, Scott Emerson, our buddy Emo, right here on A's Cast Live. Emo, it is great to have you on A's Cast Live once again. First off, congratulations, AOS champs. I know you have to be very proud. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great accomplishment for the organization, you know, to go out there and, and get the division this year. It's, you know, it's a, it's a tough uh season this year in my opinion uh but the guys kept it together and and we went out and we played hard and and it you know winning the west showed uh, how hard we played you know i think about bob melvin yourself all the coaches you know you're trying to guide these players through this you're trying to keep them safe you're trying to keep yourself safe and the other thing that i think people don't really think about is mental health this has not been easy. What you guys went through in Houston with COVID-19 all around. I mean, there was a the potential hurricane, the social injustice, and then the air quality. I mean, just talk about just how mentally tough this has been for you guys, the coaches, and the players. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's been a grind. Uh, I think, you know, the one thing that, uh, is, that's been – good for us is the fact that we get to do what we love and play baseball and uh, coach baseball. But, uh, you know, you know, like you said, the mental grind, the, the constant wearing of the mask, the, the being uh, uh, self-aware, you know, myself being high risk, I'm just always trying to be uh, aware of my surroundings and my situation. Uh, I feel good about it. It's been really good. The guys have been good. But uh, like you said, it's, it's, it's been a grind, you know, it's the daily testing, it's getting up and doing our home screening stuff. It's just, uh, just, you know, it's, it's now, I guess, becoming a routine and, you know, now we're, you know, we're quarantining. Um, I haven't been able to, I didn't, I haven't seen my wife or my dog since, you know, July 1st. So that's kind of, at times you get a little depressed and like you're missing your family, but, uh, you know, the, the phone calls are always good. And, uh, but, you know, doing what we love, uh, baseball, and then you put into perspective about, you know, what our, our guys in the military do each and every time they go out on deployment. You know, they go out, they don't, they don't get an opportunity to really see their family. So I think about them, you know, if they can go out there and grind for our country, uh, you know, we can go out there and grind for baseball. Yeah, well said. And, you know, now that you guys have clinched, the AL West, and you have six games left. When do you start meeting about how you're going to work the starting pitching for the first wild card series? Well, you know, I, I think there's, uh, you know, one, we want to make sure that everybody still stays in routine. Uh, they get their uh, pitches going. Uh, they get their pitch counts where they needed to be. Uh, but we also still need to go out and compete and, and you know, pitch the games. So, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll have a little bit more talk after the Dodgers series about you know what's going on and and where things line up with everybody. But uh, right now, for me, it's just making sure everybody feels good with their deliveries, feel good with the ball leaving their hand, 
but most of all, they still go out and, uh, you know, we do have these games left and they got to compete. And, uh, the, the good thing about a season is the season isn't over with until, until it's over with. And these guys, you know, they still want to put up some numbers and still do the things that they do. But number one is go out there and compete each and every day. How much is the decision going to be where you may have, so you got, you got, you know, you got six starters, you, you only can throw three. Some guys, though, can come out of the bullpen and give you length if you need it in the bullpen. How much will you decide on who starts and who doesn't based on if a guy can come out of the bullpen? Well, you know, I think in the playoffs, you know, the gloves are off. Everybody, even if you've never come out of the bullpen, you know, you just want to pitch in the playoffs. So I'm not worried about that. You know, I know that the front office will – do their due diligence and uh, check the matchups and, and check and, and talk to us and see what's best for the organization moving forward in the playoffs. And, and, you know, that's, that's where the numbers and the analytics can come in and help. And then that's where conversations come in and help about, uh, you know, who we feel is up for the task, you know, mentally and physically at that point in time. So, you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, I guess. Chris Bassett told us yesterday, he says, I don't care where I pitch. I just want to pitch. That's the mentality you really have installed in your guys. I think you have to be proud, Emo, when your guys are basically uh, reflecting what you want and what you're directing them that, hey, listen, I just want to be a part of the team and I just want to help us win. Well, I think it's just the character of the guys that we have. You know, I, you know, I, I, talked about the other day Liam Hendricks coming in one time in a tie ball game he got through the inning the game was still tied and he's like I got this I got next inning and he wanted to keep going uh Beekman wants to keep going you know the more important the games are the more these guys are like hey if I gotta throw three and four innings I'll do that you know and and I've had guys already telling me hey I'll just throw as many pitches as you need me to throw to win ball games and if you're looking at, at winning ball games at some point in time you know, that may happen. So it, it's, it's encouraging that these guys want the baseball uh, and they take the baseball when they're asked. And when the phone rings, they just get up and they go out and do the best they can. And that's fun to watch. Your bullpen has been the best in major league baseball. Just what a godsend. Talk about these guys and what they, what they've done for you day in and day out in this quick six game schedule. Well, you know, they, they, they're, they don't complain. Uh, they work hard. Uh, they take the baseball when it's given to them. They go out and they just go as hard as they can, as long as they can. And uh, I think there's a lot of healthy competition amongst everybody in the bullpen with one another, and that's fun to watch. But, you know, like I said, when you want the baseball, uh, that's showing a lot of confidence. And we have a lot of confidence in these guys. And, you know, early in the season, it was, you know, fun to kind of build these guys' confidence because our starters weren't built up. So some of the guys had to go two innings earlier in the year. And uh, it's just been, a, you know, a, a real treat to watch these guys go out and compete each and every day. I mean, for God's sakes, Jake Diekman has not given up a run. He has a zero ERA. Well, you better knock on some wood. I, I, I'm i knocking on wood right now. <laughs> That's like that's like that's like telling the free throw shooter he's ninety nine percent you know uh, and then he bricks the free throw. But uh, no, you know he just goes out and takes the ball, does what he's supposed to do. 
uh, he's well prepared, you know, he, he pays attention to detail and, uh, you know, he's got electric stuff. And when you can put that all the, the analytics with electric stuff together, that generally forms a good game plan. And, and uh, once he executes his pitches, he's going to have a lot of success. Have you just noticed a big difference in mentality for Chris Bassett, the way he's going out there with such great confidence and just he, he's turned into a winner? Yeah, you know, I mean, he, he's, he's always had that great confidence. You know, I, I, I remember seeing that back in 15. And now, it, you know, he has that confidence, like you said, of being the winner of like, hey, I'm here to win the game. I'm not just in the big leagues now pitching. I'm here in the games to help us win and get to a position where we want to be. And, you know, that's, that's a great teammate in him that he wants to go out, take the ball whenever possible and do the thing that, uh, you know, it takes for us to win games. You know, a guy that I keep talking about, cause you know, some of my callers, you know, cause Mike fires doesn't throw 98 miles an hour and he doesn't have the full on electric stuff. For some reason, they don't seem to trust him. But I have these numbers here, Emo. You tell me. Mike Fires in 52 starts with the A's is 26 and 8. And in games that he pitches, the A's record in games Mike Fires starts is 38 and 14. I mean, is that any good? I mean, all, all, all when he starts, you guys win games. The numbers prove that. Yeah, I think, you know, he goes out there and competes and battles with what he has. And like you said, you don't have to have electric stuff to be really good. You know, he's very competitive. He goes out there. And the one thing that that number shows me is that he keeps himself in the game longer than the opposing starter keeps themselves in the game. And that's why we win games. He, he outduels the starter that day of the other team. And whether, whether he gets the W or the team gets the W, you know, he keeps us in the game to win those games. You know, there's so something to be said about that as, as, as we've we, we've come up with like simple numbers. I, like last year, if an A's pitcher went seven innings, the ball club was 16 and four. There is something to be said. If your starter goes longer, you have a much better chance to win the game. Well, the one thing on that is, is uh, you know, when your starter goes longer and your bullpen goes shorter, you keep all your relievers fresh. So, you know, you just say you throw two guys, your starter goes seven, you throw two relievers. The next day, your starter goes seven, you throw two relievers. You're not having to be to throw those same relievers, you know, back-to-back days all the time. You know, if your starter goes five, generally, if you look at how bullpens run, you, you, you go five, there's one-inning relievers. So you bring in four relievers. You go seven, you bring in two relievers. So I think, you know, a reliever that uh, – that, uh, can go two innings is very valuable because of the starters that can only go five, but that starter who can go seven is is huge because that means it cuts back on the uh, the innings out of the bullpen. Yeah, Commander Cody just texted me this. You guys are seventeen and one in games this year where your starter goes at least six innings. So if you get six, there's a good chance you are going to win. Now, now a guy that went last night and he just ever since the neck and the back, Frankie Montas hasn't looked the same. So is he, I know the velocity is still there. Is he fully healthy? And can you get, I mean, he's got what, one more start before the postseason. What's going on with Frankie? Well, I think, you know, uh, when you run into that little injury issue, 
maybe it, it hits you with your, your confidence. You know, he hasn't come back to games or come back. He's got hit around a little bit. Maybe he's lacking some confidence. So I think it's all about confidence right now and, and, and making his pitches. And, uh, you know, you know, I can't really answer whether he's healthy. I mean, like you said, the, the ball looks good uh, coming out of his hand. Uh, it's exploding out of his hand. Uh, the one thing, I, I, you know, probably the split hasn't been as good this year, and that could contribute to that. But other than that, you know, his stuff's pretty good. It's just a matter of, you know, staying confident and going out there and being confident and knowing what you can do and not worrying about what you can't do. You know, the odds are if you're able to win the wild card series, uh, you're going to be playing at Dodger Stadium. How beneficial do you think it is that you guys are playing in Dodger Stadium right now and that you could be basically back there in a week? Um, you know, I, th- I think it's good just to get the environment, to, you know, to see how the field plays. Uh, it looks like it plays pretty quick. Last night, you know, it was kind of a launching pad for me. I thought we made a couple good pitches and it just got up in the air and left the yard. But, um, you know, it's good because, you know, you always want to find that uh, the surroundings and be around it. It's like uh, when I learned earlier about giving a speech, try to go out to the place you're going to give a speech first and see the room before you actually go out there. So, uh, you know, it, it's good to be in this uh, stadium and, and see what it's all about, especially for the guys who haven't been here. You know, I got to tell you, one of the things I miss is doing this show, A's Cast Live from the field, and you walking by every day heckling us. I miss that every day. I've, I've missed that. Well, I'm, I've, I'm still waiting on the answer about the bats, you know, how hard these bats are. I mean, we used to break seven, eight a game. Now that you break one or two, everybody's happy, you know. Everybody talks about the ball, remember. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on the bats like we're playing with aluminum bats nowadays. You know, that's a great that's one of the great conspiracy theories going right now. And you were the only guy that I've ever heard bring that up. Well, I mean, my 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 stuff wasn't very good and I broke four or five bats a game. These guys stuffed electric and we're lucky to break two or three. Yeah, think about that. We got a bunch of guys. I mean, like that kid last night, May, is throwing ninety-nine miles an hour with movement. And you got Frankie throwing 96, 97. You know, Jesus Cesaro goes out there and throws 97, 98. Yeah, how in the hell are we not breaking more bats? Uh, that's that's the question that we got to find out. All right, we're on it, Emo. Congratulations on being right, AL West champs. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Appreciate it. He's so good. Don't forget, we have the virtual auction going on right now. Ready to prepare a meal with our resident foodie, Mark Canna, or challenge Jesus Lozardo in a video game? You can bid right now, athletics.com slash virtual auction. That's athletics.com slash virtual auction. With all proceeds benefiting the Oakland A's Community Fund. All right, you ready for a little buying or selling? It's time for buying or selling right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. All right, so I'm going to get to the DeGrom one because that's always a hot topic between you and I about Mr. Outlier Jacob DeGrom. But the award races are going to be interesting this season due to only 60 games. The, The AL Cy Young race is pretty much over. 
Uh, we all believe Shane Bieber is going to win it for the Cleveland Indians. Now, the NL Cy Young, which we'll get to here in a little bit, will be between, will, could be between Trevor Bauer, who's pitching tonight and pitching well, Corbin Burns of the Milwaukee Brewers, and Jacob deGrom, which we'll get to. The NL MVP could come down to a couple guys. Fernando Tatis Jr., Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, Juan Soto, who no one's talking about. Uh, your guy, Manny Machado, Freddie Freeman, and Dodgers shortstop, Corey Seager. Don't you ever say that again. Your guy, Manny Machado. The AL My MVP. guy, Manny Machado. <laughs> the AL MVP, everyone thinks it'll be Jose Abreu of the White Sox. I, I always wanted I always wanted JD to smoke him. Did, did you ever see that when yes, yes. he and JD started getting into it? Oh, man. What a. I, I wish JD would have taken him out, but go ahead. The AL MVP, everyone thinks it'll be Jose Abreu of the White Sox, and he's been great. He has a 2.9 war, a 3.32 average, 19 homers, 56 RBIs, and a 1,029 OPS. Hey, well, that guy in New York's made a big case for himself. Uh, are you talking about uh, Luke Voigt? Yeah. He's been pretty great, too. How about Jose? Like 21 Jacks? Yeah, 21. He leads Major League Baseball. How about Jose Ramirez? He had the walk-off homer for the Indians last night against Jose Abreu's White Sox. On the year, he's only hitting 289 with 17 homers, 14 or 44 RBIs, 10 steals, and a 979 OPS. But over his last seven games, he's hitting 500 with six homers and 16 RBIs, and he has the highest F WAR. That's baseball ref or that's Fangraphs WAR in all out of all players in 2020. Buying or selling Jose Ramirez will win the AL MVP. Okay, I'm selling. Did I not say that there's a guy in New York in the largest media market uh, having an incredible year? Yeah, well, he is, and it's just crazy because everyone – like, I listened to Buster's podcast today, and I read an article yesterday from Jeff Passan. Everyone keeps talking about Jose Ramirez winning the AL MVP, and it's like, Voight and Abreu have been awesome. Shane Bieber should get more votes than him because Bieber has been – I mean, he carries the Indians every time he pitches. I, you know – Voight, Voight, mark my words, he's, he will be your he will be your MVP. I mean, he's been great. I'm not going to dispute he's doing that. It, and he's doing it for the – I mean, you do it for the Yankees, you're, you're going to get votes. Well, the 2020 season's coming to a close this weekend. And we've seen and a by lot – by the way, if you think about it, how he's carried them with, 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 with Stanton and Judge constantly being hurt, come on. Yeah, I mean, he's been the – Are only... any of the Yankees offensive players going to get a vote? Uh – I would say probably not. Uh, DJ LeMahieu is another guy who he was great last year too, and he's been great for the Yankees again this year, playing second. But well, he plays everywhere for them. So the seasons will end this weekend. We've seen a lot of surprises, like the White Sox come out of nowhere, and my Miami Marlins, who are getting closer and closer to clinching a playoff berth. Well, you Darvis has looked better this year too, which is great, and Shane Bieber has been awesome. Now, you Darvis has seven wins on the year. He sits just behind Bauer. We did sit behind Bauer in ERA because Bauer's been awesome. And he's on the heels of Nola Bauer and Jacob DeGrom, who leads the league in strikeouts. But that gets to Jacob DeGrom. He ranks fifth in the National League in ERA, and he's first in strikeouts with 94. That was coming into today. He has three starts of 12 or more strikeouts, two starts of 14 strikeouts this season. He is aiming to be just the third pitcher to win three straight Cy Young Awards. That'd be the great Greg Maddox and Randy Johnson, respectively. Buying or selling, Jacob DeGrom will not win his third straight Cy Young Award this season. I, I, I'm buying that. What do the strikeouts matter? I mean, he's I mean, he's we've set the strikeout record every year in baseball for like the last 10 years. Is it really that big a deal to strike people out? 
Um, I mean, some people still value strikeouts a lot. Like, why? It means you're throwing more pitches. It's it, and I, if you're gonna tell me as a hitter, this is. Do you contradict yourself when you say strikeouts don't matter if you're a hitter and outs and out? Well, how's that work for pitching? Do strikeouts matter and outs and out? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I. I, I and you I, throw more pitches. The more strikeouts you have, the more pitches you're yeah. gonna throw, and that means the less innings you're gonna go per start. Yeah, and, and on the year, I, I didn't get a chance to get on, on the year. DeGrom's 4-2 and two with a 2-1-4 ERA and 11 starts. And he's only pitching. Where's Trevor Bauer? Where's my guy? Power Trevor, out. What is it? Uh, Bauer. Bauer hour. Uh, Bauer the, the, hour. The Bauer hour pitching today. I think he's pitching on short rest because you know how much he loves to do that. Uh, he's been saying he wants to do that all year. He's gone five innings so far tonight. A lot of three hits, one run, six strikeouts. His ERA on the season, 1.80. But everyone you, everyone you listen to says they still think DeGrom's going to win his third straight Cy Young. So, He's doing it in New York. Yeah, and the Reds are doing it. Now, the Reds are coming on hot when they were supposed to be the team everyone was going to pick to win the World Series or go to the World Series. But they're starting to finally play well. But, I mean, the Mets are a, uh, a mess. But at least they have DeGrom that they can at least talk about for them this season the last couple of years. So, uh, that's it. That's it for today. That's kind of a decent argument. We've never talked about that. If people are going to say that strikeouts really don't matter for offensive players, then why do they matter so much for pitchers then? Because they look at because a strikeout for a pitcher is a positive stat, where a strikeout for a hitter is a negative stat. But once again, to strike people out, you got to throw a lot of pitches. Yeah, I mean there are guys that strike a lot of people out and don't throw a lot of pitches sometimes too. Uh, and it's very rare. Uh, I, I, I'd have to go back and look so many pitches DeGrom had the other night when he had the 14 strikeouts, but uh, he only went, I think he only went six innings. But once again, we have set, not this year, but the last like 10 years, we set the home run record, we set the strikeout record. So it's kind of like, you know, when people say, hey, he hit 22 home runs last year, and you go, that's eh, not that big of a deal. Everybody hits home runs. If everybody's hitting home runs, is it that big of a deal? Yeah, I, I mean, everybody's I've... doing it. I mean, I see where you're coming from with it. I just, I think it's more that it's not a specialty anymore. It's not like a Nolan Ryan specialty or a Randy Johnson or a Tom Seaver or a, I mean, everybody strikes out. I mean, the A's are getting punched out 13 times a game. The the guy to look at that that's pitching so the pitches so well without striking guys out is uh, Kyle Hendricks of the of the Cubs. He's like Greg Maddox 2.0 uh, essentially because he he paid the corners. He doesn't throw very high. I think he throws like 90 and below. I've always liked him. They call him the professor because that's how he is. He just he's a he's a master on the mound with uh, deception and everything, and he doesn't throw very hard. So he's the guy to look at for you. Don't mind about worry about strikeouts and throwing hard. But other than that, everyone's throwing hard now. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, a lot of guys are throwing hard, and a lot of guys throwing hard are getting racked. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we saw it last night. Yeah, that's true. We saw. I mean, Frankie's throwing ninety six, ninety seven, and had a hard time keeping the ball in the ballpark. Dodger team's really good. All right, we got the opener, Joe Kelly, up against Sean Manaya. What are we playing up till A's total access? We're going to play David Forrest. David Forrest. The general manager, David Forrest, next, and I'll talk to you in about 15 minutes. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.